all I think about is radioactive dicks. Have a peach and listen to the Uncut Gems podcast, a weekly show where we talk about movies nobody else wants to talk about. This is episode number 82, and my name's Jan. And my name's Nick. And my name's Randy. Okie dokie, and uh, today we're just by our lonesome. We don't have any special guests with us. We were supposed to have a guest, but the, but the guest fell, 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 fell prey to the, uh, to, to the almighty COVID. So, uh, hope, and Andrew, if you're listening, hope you're, hope, hope you're doing better. <sighs> Quick plug, quickly. On the Patreon because it's a woo goose continues today. I can't I can't do this in the way Randy did it. A woo. <laughs> um, anyway, so on the Patreon, um, just about now. Oh no, hold on. On the Patreon, J- the JCVD versus Hong Kong retrospective is available uh, to listen. In addition to this, we will be shortly recording our bonus tie-in episode to the August series about Hard Boiled, but then this will have. Co- dr- dropped on the patreon by the time you're listening to this so you can go and listen so patreon.com slash uncut gems pod is where you can go and find all these recordings in addition to many others and then also this month's uh, lost highway is coming as an as an installment of our david lynch marathon and uh, i just feel like i need to obligatorily remind everyone that the fire walk with me episode of the uh, twin peaks sort of little triptych that we have um, up there so far, which is available to listen for free without any uh, subscription, any financial commitment until the end of August, end of August, sorry. Anyway, so that's that's about it. And I might as well just mention that I think coming going forward, I think the JCVD versus Hong Kong may be uh, the last retrospective for a little while because they are a little bit of a, a little bit of a burden in terms of time commitments to watch these multiple films for a specific week uh whether they're going to be replaced with something else is a is an open question possibly sometimes we'll we'll do something but i think for now um it it remains an unanswered question so that that's just it i don't know i still think that for three bucks a month there is there is a shit ton of content for (laughs) available so you know i hope this is not a bother to anyone who's subscribing or thinking of subscribing to our Patreon. Patreon.com slash Uncut Gems Pod is where you want to go and find out. Anyway, let's just continue our Awoo Gust series by talking about Face Off, baby. You good looking. Yacht. It's like looking in a mirror, only not. Now that is between us, okay? But you were... uh, In a coma? uh, uh, Nothing like having your face cut off to disturb your sleep. Read the newspaper lately? You killed them? Well, beats paying the bill, huh? Come on, I mean, uh, if a facelift costs five grand... See anything you like? Face Off was released in 1997, of course, directed by John Woo and stars John Travolta, Nick Cage, Joan Allen, Dominic Swain, Swan? Swain. Swain. Um, Alessandro Nivola and Gina Gershon, I think. Oh, and Nick Cassavetes and a few other people. 
Nick Cassavetes I couldn't recognize because he's bald. Uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, I'm gonna. Like, I, I didn't write a synopsis for this. I'm gonna do this as best I can. So it's about a, an FBI agent who's hunting down uh, a maniacal killer who had killed his own son, and then after actually getting to him and then putting him in a coma, it turns out that the uh, maniacal m- maniacal killer, this is, this is Nick Cage. Together with his brother, they've they've managed to mount uh, a terrorist attack, and then nobody knows where and when the bomb is gonna go. So, well, what else could possibly happen? John Travolta, which is the the FBI agent, decides with a with a help of of, of some handy sort of sci-fi surgery to uh, pose as Nicolas Cage, who's in a coma, and then try to extract the information about where the bomb is from 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 the guy's brother, who is in prison. So he gets Nicolas Cage's face, and he goes into prison. However, just as luck will have it, Nicolas Cage wakes wakes up from a coma and finds John Travolta's face in a in a bucket. So he just gets that uh, fastened to himself. I think I've done. And then just the story goes from there, and in in a number of directions. Sometimes I don't know why, but we'll get to it. We'll get to it. I th- I'm not sure. Guys, did I do a good job with the synopsis, or should we just do it again? <laughs> I'd say so, yeah. <laughs> not bad. Face in a bucket. That was the alternative title. <laughs> face in a bucket. Um, face in a bucket. <laughs> put his face I mean, back in a bucket. I, I don't know. I honestly don't. Yeah, okay. So, you know, just... So Face Off was, I think, originated as a spec script in like the early 90s. And um, that was kind of optioned by Joel Silver, uh, who then eventually just the, the option expired. So that landed with Michael Douglas, of all people, who ended up being the producer on the, final, on the final product as well. And then in the meantime, I think it was then John Woo was given a pass on Do You Want It? When he was going to Hollywood and said, no, I don't like the sci-fi element. We talked about this on the Hard, hard Target episode, I think. This was before yeah. he made Hard Target. Um, but anyway, so Michael Douglas ended up with the script in his lap, and it, it was apparently alleged that he would he would be starring against Harrison Ford. But he said, "You know, I don't want this, uh, so, so I don't want to star in this." So they were uh, they were looking for other people, and then Rob Cohen was supposed to direct, but he ended up not doing it because he went and did Dragonheart, which totally an uncut gem material. Um, Anyway, so they were also considering Arnold Schwarzenegger and Stallone to be um, to be to be the leads for the film. Bruce Willis and Alec Baldwin, Al Pacino and Robert De Niro, dream on, right? <laughs> uh, who else? JCVD and Steven Seagal. Now that's Man. a pairing. Yeah, and Denzel Washington and Wesley Snipes. I think that's just that's the pairings I found online. Anyway. So John Woo got attached, I think, in sometime in 1996, five, and then the film was kind of, and then Nicolas Cage and Travolta ended up being being sort of uh, approached at the same time. And Nicolas Cage at the time was also producing and starring in Con Air, which Con Air kind of came out, I want to say, a few weeks before Face Off. So the the production of the two films, uh, I think, just briefly overlapped as well. So he was busy. Anyway, William um, of the film enjoyed very little studio interference in contrast to pretty much everything else that John Wood did in Hollywood. We're going to get to it. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, the film was released in the summer of 1997 to a massive box office success. I think domestically 245 on 80 mil budget. I think so. And it was 11th highest grossing film of that year. It was nominated for one Oscar for sound editing and it was critically appraised as, holy shit, this is amazing. So mm. 
this is stands in stark contrast to pretty much everything that we do on the show because usually it's either the critics hate and 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 people love it the people hate it and the critics love it or just no one gave a shit and then this is our job to kind of figure it out but then because it's just a part of the series about let's see what ev- everything that john Woo has done in hollywood this is the one success so let's just start with just normal sort of let's just see where we stand on this film so guys is it a woo or a boo how about that who wants to go first this is the biggest woo possible face off is amazing face off is perfect there is objectively nothing wrong with this film there are no plot holes there are no plot contrivances and conveniences this is a perfect script with perfect execution john travolta and nicholas cage at the top of their game delivering two absolutely bonkers performances uh endlessly quotable incredibly exciting it's two hours and 20 minutes long doesn't feel like it feels like a sharp 80 minute film it's john woo with a massive budget just unhinged free to do whatever he wants it's incredibly melodramatic it's incredibly sweet it's incredibly dumb and i love it this is everything that i want from an american action film if you take just the opening like 10 15 minutes of this film and you put them in any action movie from the past five years people would say this is one of the best action films of all time and that's just the first opening minutes of Face Off. Some wow. of those statements may be a bit hyperbolic, you know, but... <laughs> no just, shit, just, really? just a little bit, just a little bit, you know. Oh, wow. I'm trying to rein it in a little, you know. No, well, I, I noticed your Letterboxd review stating this is the great all-American action film. I was just thinking, oh, here we go. This is going to be one of those. <laughs> I'm not a poser. It's happening. The love is real now. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy Randy. all right ready for the echo chamber look i have seen face off many many times i saw it three times in theaters in the summer of 97 pretty sure it was three multiple times it may have been four uh this to me is the absolute apex of action filmmaking it is style heart and uh woo just embraces this uh, crazy over the top world in, in this script. Music, cinematography, choreography. I love the slow mo and the edit. It's all amazing. And they all serve what I would say is an emotional core to the character's values. Maybe not super deep characters, but the character values and certain emotions and scenes. They all serve it wonderfully. You know, over and over when we get into 90s films, I sort of drift off into this discussion about the business at the time. So I'll do that just quickly here, just backpedaling to sort of Jurassic Park in 93 and Toy Story in 95. Those were game-changing films, and I think studios end up drifting towards that type of technology to tell their stories. Um, You know, the CGI and the brand name stuff is coming in the near future, but prior to this in the 80s, you had big box office action hero stuff they're starting to wind down in popularity. So all the stuff that Stallone and Schwarzenegger, that larger than life action violence, that's starting to fade away a little bit to make way for the Harry Potters and the Star Wars prequels and the Pixars and that type of stuff. But Face Off to me is the climax of the muscles and missiles and the stunts and pyrotechnics, the non-CGI action of the 80s. This is the height of it. So now the genre can ride off into the sunset, <laughs> sunset with this last party. Love it. 
you've got two of what I would say, two of the best body swap performances in history. Not necessarily that there's a lot of them, but move over Freaky Friday. This here is brilliant. <laughs> two brilliant performances. And yes, this is Godfire. Hello. <laughs> Nick alluded to it on the surface level. He wouldn't come out and say it on the surface level. This is sort of silly sci fi stuff. <laughs> it shouldn't work. But why am I emotional at the end over Joan Allen's confusion and during Cage's return to his home and everything that's going on, Gina Gershon? I'm actually legitimately emotional in these moments. Beneath each gorgeous shot, there's an understanding and care for the emotion of the scene. Nick, you said it. This is 140 minutes. It feels like 100 or 90 or 80. This feels so fast. Love the pacing of this movie. Uh, yeah, it's just quite simply one of the best films of the 90s. And if I were to do a top 100 list, this is probably cracking the top 25. This oh. is fantastic. With all due respect to Tom Cruise, Face Off is the crown jewel of Paramount Plus streaming. I will say that right now. That's oh, it. I look, I look forward to this discussion. So, so I suppose <laughs> you guys like it, dude. <laughs> Just a little bit sounds like it yeah, from both of us. How about oh you, you? You both, like, you just took face off in the mouth. Like, my goodness. It tastes good, you know. Jesus. Face off. Uh, weirdly enough, I, I don't remember seeing this in the cinema. I may have seen this in the cinema, but it may have been a video experience. However, I think I saw it like at that time and then I never looked back for some reason. Because I was just I watching, I sat down to watch this on a Wednesday, and I could. This was like a brand new experience to me, and I know I've seen this. So it's, it's like, okay, well, great. So okay, how do I phrase this? Like I fell asleep an hour in, and not just like dozed off for like five minutes. I woke up, the credits were rolling. It was just uh oh, and then I just said to myself, okay, maybe I was tired. Maybe I was tired. Let's 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 try again. Let's try again. So the next day, put it on, and I, yeah, it dozed off again. I go, no, so I watched it essentially two, like the first hour I saw two and a half times, and then I finished it today. So in three three sittings, it took me, and I, I kind of have to say, like, you guys, I, I'm so happy for you. It feels like this is like the reverse deep impact. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. For me, okay, it's a, okay, it's a woo, not a boo. Put it that way. It's still a woo. But there, there are more, there are bigger woos than this for me. Like hard targets, better than this for me. Oh my! Broken arrows, wow. better than this for me. Oh, oh my! Like no, and, and like no, I don't want to be, I don't want to be nasty in here. But I was just thinking to myself, like this, like you guys think, oh, it's like a, it feels like an eighty-minute film. I'm just thinking, like no, like this, if it, it feels like exactly hundred and forty minutes. <laughs> you <laughs> felt exactly every minute of it. It, it feels exactly like a 140-minute film feels like. And I was just scratching my head today, just like, what? what is going on with this movie? Like, what's what's happening? I woke up early today to actually finish this. I finished this on watching this on the phone, on the toilet, because I was just thinking, I won't have time to finish this, because it was just like, it eats into my time. So, I, you know, last 45 minutes. Oh, I, my I, God. I'll, I'll probably get hemorrhoids out of this, because I spent 45 oh, minutes no. on the toilet watching this. <laughs> And then I didn't really have to be there for 45 minutes, but it was just, it was a seat. <laughs> and uh, 
yeah, yeah. So uh, anyway, just not not to not to protract this longer than than it needs to be. I feel like okay, there is a where it shines, it really does. I really appreciate the sort of the tactile nature of what this movie tries to do in terms of its action set pieces. Mainly, I want to say this this concentrates in the beginning and the end, which will make an appearance, say when when they crash a, an actual plane into an actual hangar, just. Look. Take that, Nolan. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Like, take yeah. that, Nolan. But then again, Nolan was like, I crashed the B Boeing 747. And then just go, you, you're on your piddly Gulfstream jets. <laughs> uh, <laughs> whatever this is. Um, or the sort of the motorboat chase with stunts, stuntmen just, uh, you know, pretending they're just on jet skiing without skis, which is great. This is where I think this film really shines, and then it shines in moments of the, of, of the sort of close quarter combat. Although occasionally for me, however, it's kind of sagged in the middle in two places. The film has this sort of like this in, initial high, and then it sags, and then it has a bit of bit of a mid high, and then it sags again, and then it just picks itself up. And this is where I fell asleep twice, like when it's when all of a sudden we're just in in this sort of domestic situation where I have to just look at John Travolta's parenting and then just like, I, mean, I, I get there's a comedic sort of effect where just you see Dominic Swain and <laughs> just make up and she's, you don't understand, I'm supposed to be me. Uh, but but like, you, I feel about her the way you guys felt about Tia Leone, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm, and I don't want to say I'm unconvinced because I, I do appreciate where what this film's trying to do and then where, where, where what John Woo I think brings to the table although I have a few opinions on this but I'm gonna keep them to, close to my chest for now because mm. I feel like we talked about this off mic we're just like well sometimes it may be a good idea to kind of start a little bit differently and just like let's just say instead of going around like what I call the outer shell shell and say like well let's let's see the, the, the appraisal of the film and just dive in from there I think it's a it's a more pertinent question to ask is what do, what am I not seeing that you guys are seeing and then what is it that makes you guys um, respond to this movie in a way that that you do that potentially you could put okay I don't want to say like woo me right <laughs> that's pun intended oh, nice <laughs> smooth. <laughs> Super well smooth. Done. Well played, pretty well much played. what I'm saying. Like how 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 do you convince someone who's more or less on the fence on this movie to go go off the deep end? The I'm, I'm I'm going to be very repetitive with this, um, but but it's because to me that's just the core of John Woo. He takes himself seriously. While also having comedic elements, you know, in the mix. But the stories at their core are serious. And it goes back to what you said, actually, Randy. Like, I find this to be genuinely emotional. And of course, it's not emotional in the way that, like, you know, I can watch Tree of Life and be emotional at the end of it. <laughs> it's a different type of, yeah. of emotion. <laughs> <laughs> they got this the one, It's not like a guitar film. It's kind they of like, a, emotional, like Tree of Life. <laughs> yeah, it's not like that. It's not like that. But it's not, it's a, it's essentially Malikian. That's what it is. Very much so, very poetic, of, especially. Uh, but it's 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 emotional in the in the way that something like Terminator Two is emotional to me. You know, this I, the stakes feel real. The characters are just so fun to see on screen. The body swap is 
is compelling. They do some very interesting things with it. It's not just very clear cut, um, you know, like oh, like the wife, the the wife element, like John Allen. I think she's fantastic in this film, uh, especially getting an age appropriate wife for the main character. It makes it more relatable. It makes it more believable. You also have all of the other side of things. You know, like I, what I really like is is especially with this film is the duality of things. Because you end up understanding both sides of the coin. Hero and villain just kind of blend with one another. And while, of course, like Castor Troy as John Travolta is a bad guy, you still see him like genuinely connecting with the daughter of... Um... Ah, uh, no. How can I forget? Uh, Sean Archer. Sean Archer. Is, is, is he connecting with her or is he trying to bang her? It's very creepy. Well, we'll get to that. There's Ooh, some. Which, there's some. Uh, whichever. Uh, <laughs> at the end. This is on my list. There's some dis- dis- questionable uh, parts in here regarding gender politics. Yeah. Um, but that being said, like that part is very co- compelling to me. The fact that Sean, as as like Nicolas Cage, when he's ah, well, when Nicolas Cage is in the penthouse, <laughs> to simplify things, and he meets the family and the friends of. His, of his nemesis and he starts humanizing them to the point that they are killing FBI agents and you're kind of rooting for them to do that because you see the FBI agents in a negative light. There's a lot of like, you know, mixed emotions in this that play very well with the drama. And also you have fantastic action. Like to me, this has everything that both Hard Target and Broken Arrow were lacking, which is effective melodrama. Broke, mm-hmm. Hard Target has some very memorable parts, very funny, but like I don't care about whoever the 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 girl was. I forgot her name. Apologies, Yancy Butler. Butler. Thank you. Like I don't care about her search for daddy. You know, it's 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 a good way to get the story going, but I'm not there like sucked into it because it was butchered, of course. But also like it's not particularly compelling. Uh, Broken Arrow. It's it's very simple. It's it's fun. It's exciting, but there's no real. Like, there's nothing for me to sink my teeth into emotionally. But with this, oh, this, this is a buffet. This is a buffet. This film only sags in one part for me. And that's when the end credits are over. And then I'm just kind of like, I'm like, the, the high just ends for me. I went to sleep. I couldn't sleep well because I was just overly stimulated by this movie. I, I wanted to go to the bathroom 20 minutes in. And I was like, you know, I can wait for like after the prison breakout. And then I <laughs> never so stopped the movie. And I was like... <laughs> Not stopping it. We're rolling with this. Two more hours. Let's go. Two Q and two 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 hours later, Nicholas shot himself. But <laughs> finished the film. It's all good. It'd be but worth he, it. He, the tension was broken. Gr- he had a great experience under his belt. Exactly. <laughs> there was a party there. You know? Unintended. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. For me, this is character because I was actually thinking quite a bit about this in comparison to uh, the chat that we had about the Van Damme films uh, Mm. recently with Double Team, because we made the comment, there's a lot of parallels script-wise between Double Team and uh, Face Off, you know, but these here do not compare at all. So what is it about Wu, I was asking myself, that can take a relatively silly script. See, see, he passed on it the first time he saw it. Just, well, I don't know. It's sci-fi like, I don't like, was it the sci-fi element he wasn't a fan of, correct? Which was I more so prominent, prominent yeah. I think, right? Yeah, I think they t- toned it down, thankfully. So 
what is it that makes it this really, really sing? And I think that in each moment of each, each scene in here, there's an emotional beat because the characters you could argue are, are still relatively thin. They're relatively standard. The motivations are fairly simple. Like uh, Nikki said it, it's, it's melodrama straight up, but Wu really knows how to sell that and paint that picture in the first three minutes of this film, just by this beautiful, beautifully shot moment between uh, Travolta and his son on the merry-go-round and it's sold by the music and the slow-mo and the framing of the head and shoulders type of close-ups and just these little visual uh, choreography things like with uh, Travolta wiping his hand down the face. Like, oh, this the, is... hand. the hand. The hand. <laughs> the ma- like, man of, this... of fate is going to make an appearance, guys. I'm going to put it right there. Oh, yeah. So it'll oh, make an appearance, I think, on my list, too. But all of this <laughs> stuff is planted in a way that works for me because Wu is, is totally... <laughs> I'm here, son. Just... Okay, I don't know. Every time his his wife puts on makeup, he's gonna like, don't get close to me because you're gonna ruin this again. <laughs> okay, well, let's let's get into it because my thought would be, oh my gosh, what if the other kid has glasses, like constantly rubbing your fingers across? Yeah, but the then, kid's like, glasses. at the end, the daughter does it to the kid, like, is there obviously there? I mean, ah, oh, this is the sort of the melodrama. I mean, I suppose the swells and it earns the violence, uh, as I like to I like I like yes. to call it. Right, but at the end, like he needs to play a place to stay. This kid because it's Castro's kid, and then the daughter does the thing with him. Just do they just do it to each other? Like, I think the, the wife does oh, it. Family. But these are the visual violins, and I feel like with the, with the music and the the slow mo, this stuff works in a way that it doesn't work in another director's hands. Like I am totally on board with this. Like it's setting up beats after beats and. Like, like I say, we don't have a character depth necessarily here, really fully f- fulfilled characters, but the emotional beats in each scene, Wu is totally on top of, and I'm there for it. And it's all I need for these, for these characters to really, really work. I understand the relationships. I understand the, the heartache to, you know, of a parent losing a child. Like all of that is really sold because Wu understands each moment in this film. Mm-hmm. Oh, also, one very, very quick, quick, quick thing, because yeah. I forgot to talk about music in the Van Damme retro, but I'm not going to make the same mistake here. <laughs> John Powell, first feature score. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. I can listen to this every day. Wow, Bob, the action wow. theme would pump me up, and the love theme would make me cry like a baby. Wow. Agreed. I was looking at the uh, music, and then the, the list of uh, tracks has one track called Face On, but it doesn't have a track called Face Off. That's the album. <laughs> dropped the ball on that. I don't know. It's just, <laughs> someone dropped the ball. Actually, it should open with Face On and close with Face Off. I don't know, because there was a Face Off at the end. Lol. <laughs> anyway, on the hands, I just wanted to quickly say, just on. <laughs> like I know this is like this. Like I see this for the first time when Travolta does it, just the thing. You know, I'm just thinking, oh, this is just pure foreshadowing because they're gonna be. This is gonna be how she's gonna figure out that her husband's not her husband because clearly this is gonna happen, right? Because because I, as I said, I have not remembered a single thing. Essentially, for me, this was a first time viewing <laughs> for some reason. 
and then just I'm just thinking to myself, wow, they're really making use of this hand gesture. Like it's everywhere. And I'm just thinking, like, I think there is a number of, of, of instances above which this is becoming too much. <laughs> just because like, it just it's just an emblematic to me of of the fact that this whole film kind of just not only verges on parody but it kind of just goes neck deep into parody tone and sort of tonally speaking most of the time and i'm just scratching my head trying to figure out is this why i don't jive with this the way i should because I, I kind of maybe this is just my this is me right this is on me like this is not nothing to do with the film because maybe, maybe this is me not not being able to come maybe not comprehend but um, appreciate the idea of the sort of the jarring sort of tonal shifts and like uh, they will just nip out of the plane and say ah Archer is this one of yours and then just shoots the woman and she just drops like a bag of potatoes and it's a great scene just like holy shit this is gruesome and then he does this <laughs> he just shrugged like Meh. I'm just okay it's great love it so I have a thing that you kind of have to be like on board for all of this other because if not it's gonna really just start just just scratching at you and then it just becomes almost problematic what do do you mean like on a on a character level like these characters and the mannerisms are over the top because i think that's that's in here but i'm like in in terms of the hand thing like i i think of broken arrow and it's almost as if Wu is on top of the choreography and even in his close-ups because in broken arrow travolta had this weird thing with how he postured his hands when he was smoking and he would take the smoke with this exaggerated like scissor chop with his fingers and, mm-hmm. and it's and i think that's what this is is that the hand it's a mannerism type of thing but because it the love touch yeah and everything <laughs> his words not mine <laughs> well okay we'll have um, to add that into our vernacular see um, <laughs> in something like broken arrow for instance maybe this is okay i'm trying to understand and, and trying to contextualize why i say i i can watch broken arrow now i'll have better time watching it Maybe because it's 40, 40 minutes shorter, that probably will help because uh, I won't get the chance to fall asleep. Um, even though there is an opportunity to do so, as I mentioned on the episode. <clears throat> anyway, because Travolta in that film is the only person essentially who's really bringing it to the sort of the hyper stylized, elevated level of just being unhinged. Like mm-hmm. Laser's playing it straight. Giles Prentice playing it straight. Everyone else is kind of playing it. Samantha Mattis is playing it straight. He, Travolta is the only is the, he's the Jared Leto in a fat suit, right? <laughs> Whereas in here, everyone feels like they're in a fat suit. Like everyone, it feels like a like a live action South Park episode, like on occasion. And then I suppose if this is like okay, if this is your bag, and I suppose yeah, great. But then for me, it was it was kind of like. Having both Nicolas Cage and John Travolta just vying for the same spot possibly is counterproductive to me because it I would I can I can take a Nicolas Cage from where Nicolas Cage is the only person doing this and I'm and I'm just okay he's just being himself he's he's just you know to borrow a phrase from Herzog from Herzog who used this for for Nicolas Cage and for the port of call New Orleans letting his hog loose right. 
Whereas in here, like the suppose the script assumes that you know, like John Travolta has to do the same because he's essentially pretending to be Nicolas Cage, and then Nicolas Cage is pretending to be John Travolta, but Nicolas Cage can only pretend to to do to just tone down a little bit, uh, so much before it becomes unbearable to him, and he still kind of just lets it out. Uh, so, so it feels a little bit. It feels like a lot to process. And then on top of that, the plot is just so thick that eventually I'm just like, I don't even know who these people are. Like, why are we in this penthouse? I don't know. The whole prison sequence is like, I want to say 25 minutes all told spent in prison. Why are we there for so long with the Super Mario boots? (laughs) (laughs) And like, I get it. Like, I'm not not going to criticize the the you know the logic of like who who invents a prison with like magnetic boots everywhere like I, I this is just a sci-fi conceit i get it this is deja vu right this is this this is fbi having a time machine sort of like i have to get on board with this that there is a you know this is the same sort of level of storytelling you have to just suspend your disbelief totally and just get with the program but there's so much to take in like this it's so convoluted that it almost hurts because I, I feel like this could have been simpler. Like this could have been easier. Like take out the prison se- se- sequence, just make it just a premise for, for them to kind of swap faces. I don't care. The rest could go. Uh, like the whole Gina Gershon, Nick Cassavetes thing. That could go. Like, I'm not even kidding. Ouch, no. Like, I know Pain. you guys like it, but I'm no. just thinking, like, what does it add to the story? Jack. It adds Jack. First name Jack, last name shit. You know, no, that's everything. It's that's I feel like it's context. It, it adds what total context? context. What does it well, add? Well, I think the thing here is, firstly, I just to push back a little bit. I th- think there's one character that's over the top, and that's Caster Troy. You know, maybe his brother a little bit. Well, his brother like, with a fucking finger. Yeah, and just sort no. of he's always in the fetal position, even when he's standing, like. You know, yeah. but he's that, I was just uh, maybe he just <laughs> doesn't eat I'd enough. Say he's like very eat autistic. They make him very uh, autistic coded. Is that even a term? But like he has a lot of the mannerisms of someone with mental disabilities. Well, no, do you know what he has? Like now that you say this, he has a manner. He has mannerisms of someone who's pretending to have it. He's like Eric Cartman in South Park, pretending to have Tourette's to get away with <laughs> with calling people names. <laughs> <laughs> outside of the troy boys though i i don't feel everyone is is heightened and hyperbolic here i think it's just the those bad guys and what i find a fascinating element is you do have the sean archer character is sort of the, the straight man so to speak but what this flip-flop this freaky friday type of concept does is it it puts each actor in the other's shoes and that is interesting on a meta level and that is interesting in the context of, of uh, you know, what we see in terms of the story. And by by way of going to see Gina Gershon and uh, Cassavetes, that that has a function in in the story um, because uh, Sean Archer's Castor Toy, it is confusing to sort of go through it. Like he has to he has to connect. He has to sort of connect and uh, he needs sort of a safe place. But anyway, Further to that, go, going there, you've got this family element and you've got these parallels of the family elements between Archer and Castor Troy. And it adds this context that when you see the other character in the flip-flop shoes, it's an interesting dynamic 
just instantly. And I'm I'm there for it. It totally works works so for when, me. When Gina Gershon says like, "Oh, nice kid you have there," and then he, he just, <laughs> "This is my poor man's Nicolas Cage." Sorry, <laughs> and she says, "Oh, it's yours. It's yours too." And just is this where you go like, <gasps> "Yes, really, yeah." It's I it's I such think a throwaway moment. It's just almost like you know. I I don't want to yeah, say it's I part think of it has my lots of gravity. Yeah, I don't even want to say it's part of my bias towards him, but I do think like Cage Cage's performance here is the is the reason why everything works around him. Travolta is great as well, but like Cage, the fact that he's so so unique in the first part before the coma makes it so that you get what type of character he is, over-the-top, excessive, blah, 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 so that when Cage has to play Sean Archer, you feel the pain behind him, like you, the pain that he's inside. Oh, it's not literally inside, but like he's inside his nemesis' his body. He sees his reflection in every mirror and is forced to behave like him. So to when go you see into Sean Archer and Nicolas Cage's body, right? Yes, yes. When like okay. he, when he goes to the prison and to the penthouse, like he says, "Fuck you!" There's really? that's one of my like honestly. Even rewatching it now, there's so many parts that just get to me when he when he when, like he makes the crazy face in the prison to his brother, like ah, and then he fights the the bad guys and like oh cool, like he's fighting the man. but then he's about to to kill the one inmate and he doesn't do it, and he like throws the thing away and he starts like screaming in joy like yeah i did it i did it <laughs> i did it like keep he has to keep up this pretense that he is castor troy when he isn't and it's just eating him up inside and i'm watching i'm like poor man like i'm feeling it it's it's a great performance and on the flip side because yeah. like he's hating that life on the flip side you have uh, john travolta as castor troy pretending to be sean archer that's just eating everything up and he's like strolling through the neighborhood going oh, this is like in the, the super suburbs he says, this is this is hell right here like wherever he landed but it just causes havoc everywhere i, I it, just even talking about it i wish i could rewatch it now <laughs> like as soon as we're done yeah, just I'm, face off <laughs> back I'm, again yeah i'm sort of with you with <laughs> with cage i so He's known for being unhinged and he's never really played much for villains and he didn't really want this yeah. role when it was originally offered to him because, well, I don't know if I want to play a villain. It's like, oh, you'll be the hero. <laughs> you'll be the hero and the villain. Ooh, yes, sign me up. So we get to see the unhinged villain and he sells it and he's everything a 90s villain should be in the opening half hour. And then he has to give a completely different performance to be Nicolas Cage unhinged via sort of a normal person. And it's it's fascinating. It, it's uh, I just, I'm so on board with this. And then similarly, you get Travolta to, you, you get to see him, like, honestly, be a star. We see it in Broken Arrow. We see it in Pulp Fiction. Like, this, this is a, an absolute star. And, you know, the fact that his career sort of goes up and down is, is sort of a sin. Um, but this is a huge, amazing, immensely successful performance. And the fact that early on, you know, he sells it by internalizing everything and like both both performances have to really work to set the parameters in the first 20 minutes or so before the, mm -hmm. the face swap. And I think each of them are give commendable performances. 
and I am on on board for for both. I mean, here's a, okay. Well, this may be a controversial take. One of many. <clears throat> Who yeah, do you think is is a better performance in here? Because I'm okay. I'm, I'm as, I'll go first because this is an answer to what you guys are, are saying. Because to me, I think John Travolta is doing a a better job being Nicolas Cage's character than Nicolas Cage is doing um, a job trying to pre- trying to scale himself down. Like I've, I'm I'm more sort of in awe of maybe this is just natural because John Travolta gets to you know spread his wings and just be a little bit more flamboyant right it's easier to kind of notice but I feel like John Travolta's having way more fun and having a, a bit more of a go in his performance whereas I think the way I saw Nicolas Cage's performance where he has to just bowl everything up and then just pretend that he's on hint he's almost like he looks like he's desperately trying not to act so he's just sitting there and he's just he's moping and he's just like this is not what travolta is doing in there he's still travolta has his own flair even when he's like when he goes like i don't know when he just takes this takes the bottle of wine which is a great scene and goes like okay how about to rodriguez montoya pumper stiltskin something else and you know i don't know who bob and chris from 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 the coffee trolley i don't know whoever like he just he's he, even though he's trying to be serious, he still has the sort of, you know, there, there's something about his style that's very sort of like, he's very sort of light on his feet. Whereas I think whenever Nicolas Cage is trying to sort of um, embody that, he essentially just withdraws into his shell and he's just moping a little bit. He's just very sort of brooding and I'm not sure this is what uh, would have been I don't I don't know this I don't I, see it as, as him trying to imitate Travolta if you know what I mean. Well, the moments where he's moping, it's when he finds out that basically there's no hope for him. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a different Sean life. Archer, right? Because he's he's dealing with a, a new trauma, right? That you know, like this is sort of a crazy thing that my body and mind have gone through, but now mm-hmm. I'm also dealt this hand where it seems it seems hopeless because now. Castro Troy is my face. So I, I think it's a different Sean Archer than we see with uh, the original. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm okay with that. I, I hear what you're saying. And I mean, it's I, not a deal breaker. It's just something no, that no. I've noticed that I feel like I'm having more fun watching John Travolta going off the deep end than watching Nicolas Cage trying to stay on the edge. Yeah, me, me too. I, I think I prefer Travolta, but in a way it's sort of like picking my favorite chocolate bar. Like I've got three or four... <laughs> You know, with you know, I love them both. Uh, one of them is mint I, chocolate. It's kind of like okay, well, you can stay. Mint is great. Freshes oh, you off. You know. Chocolate. Yeah. <laughs> if you if you lived in the seventies, we'd be smoking mint cigarettes, right? Wouldn't you? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> but you mentioned that scene, and that that I want to just take a quick moment to acknowledge that the writing here is is fairly sharp as well and i would say whether it's sort of the influence of the script going through the pre-production process with the likes of Wu and his his team but just you mentioned the scene where uh travolta has the bottle of wine and mm-hmm. so this is when he walks walks into the office and he gets a round of applause from all of CIA his colleagues <laughs> it's a self moment again <laughs> but this is a great moment in the script as well because he doesn't feel like celebrating because he's he's just that guy he is you know he's just not going to celebrate and what he does is he acknowledges 
we lost all these agents in that firefight. What about these? What about, you know, Ramirez and Smith and, you know, Donna in accounting? Like he's he's raising this and another film won't bother. I think it would just move him into the office and he can mope in the office. And I think that there's a there's a, a flair to the, the script that it's it understands the moment a little better. Again, it's not necessarily like a character depth, but there's an understanding, I think, that this film has with what is the what is the best moment what is the best emotion for this moment and i I think that's that's something that's thrown in for travolta but also just sort of at the script writing level like i think that's that's a really good that's a really good little moment and it it speaks to a certain depth that's there and that's the type of guy that travolta is is that he cares about his colleagues and losing them is no small deal the way that He's lost his son and here six years later that that is just on a monkey on his back that is a trauma that he carries around with him so nothing is taken for granted and a lot of action films you know on to the next thing so you know we just blew up a bridge and now the whole city can't get across the bay without going all the way around but no one cares everyone's happy because you know we got through that little action set piece this is a film that cares about that that type of uh, detail, and I really appreciate though, that. I'd say because it, I, to me, the, yeah, yeah. go on. No, I, I think it's present even in the penthouse set piece because it's showing both sides of the coin. You see, when when Castor Troy is the one, you know, killing people off left and right, you're feeling the mm-hmm. the the death of the of the agents, and then on on the other hand, you feel it when, you, when like these criminals that are almost humanized can be seen as questionable, but that's kind of a John Woo thing, like with the killer and other films, Better Tomorrow, like, if you romanticizes yeah. that side of things, and you, and you feel for them, they end up feeling more like real characters, you're introduced to them way early on in the film, when they're in, getting interrogated by, by Sean, and when they come back, you have preconceived notions of who they are, but yeah. seeing them in a different context, in a different light, you feel for them. Yeah, that context shift there's a great little piece in the shootout in the uh, the penthouse where, uh, oh, okay, uh, make sure I get this right. It is, yeah, it's Cage who yep. is, so Cage is Archer. I know at that which point. moment this is. <laughs> yeah, there's one of the agents comes up and so Cage is going around. He's trying to knock people out or, you know, he goes like, oh, Rodriguez. throw them out a window <laughs> instead rather than kill them. And then one agent's mask comes off, his helmet comes off and cage calls him by name oh wells like and it's this moment what he he knows these people and this is just a great context and it mm-hmm. it's a it's a soft interruption to the beats of an action scene and it's special and it has meaning and there's a character depth there and we're we see the duality in in the character the two worlds that he's sort of coexisting within and that stuff is great. And it's just these, sometimes it's these small touches. And that's just a great moment. I mean, for I'm happy you guys see duality in there. I mean, I get it. I get it. Well, these moments in isolation, if you pull them out, they mean stuff. But then it's sort of like, well, there's the wine bottle, mo- bottle moment. And then we cut to as, as essentially a, a 90s cliche slash South Park sort of Team America World Police description of a bomb. And then... Uh, with boobs in there and whatever. Cut to again Nicholas oh Nicholas Cage's brother with his with his finger just trying to pretend that he's 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 me- mentally sort of like socially withdrawn or whatever. So it's totally incoherent to me. 
like this is like you, you say duality i see incoherence because it's kind of just like it feels like uh it's been written by three people all at once like like they were just like oh well we need a moment in there well let's just like make space and they'll just like just just open the doors of of the action like just just take the action set pieces apart a little bit and just stick in the moment of humanity in there and just like let it let it be there like you have this sort of this domestic situation that kind of comes in between these little things that just means like if like the film owes so much to true lies in this sort of context this sort of the domestic sort of situation of this daughter not being not being on board with everyone and everything and then just also becoming a whole it's essentially just taking out of true lies right and then it feels to me like it's uh like as a whole it doesn't gel because i'm i, I just feel like well it a the drama in here in these moments of 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 what you say hum, is humanity which is almost distracts from the ballet of action and destruction that's otherwise taking place in there because it's really it's really not only slowing you down it's taking you out of of the experience and you're just okay well if you're in in for this then great but for me it was it was almost like you know like trying to experience something when someone's just trying to flick a switch on the wall and just like the lights are on the lights are off the lights are on it's like please stop right so, so that's how i felt about this sort of uh, it, it feels totally inconsistent to me because it kind of just flip-flops between these moments of balls to the wall sort of tactile action we just don't care we're taking serious taking it seriously how corny this whole thing is which is it has its own allure and then i'm pulling you out because we need to ex- expand on the humanity of this if only for 45 seconds and then we're off to the races again but then we have to also advance the plot we have to advance these characters and we like halfway through from we forget there was this woman character who knew about the mission nothing happened to her like it's, she wasn't killed by anyone remember that which one oh. sorry like you've seen this film 18 times jesus when when the guy when, when the guy is told and john travolta's told for instance that you know like there is a way we can find the bomb right yeah so, so there's a guy the black dude the bald dude who he to whom he gives his ring his friend yeah Yes. Yeah. Yes. There's a doctor, and there's the woman, the black woman. Yeah. What happens to her? Where is she? She's killed. She's Where killed. is she killed? There's three people killed. It's, they're, they're all I only killed. Saw two in the fire. I only only saw two. Like, what happened to her? Like, did because they all, did, all three were killed by Tommy yeah. Flanagan and yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I'm just I'm just saying like is there, I've seen two people in there. What's going on? Just what the hell? And then it's more than it, two. It's it really just, even like the scientists are killed, it's like yeah. four or five people. Like so, even to my point, it may it makes you feel like <laughs> there's so much packed into these things because there's the the plots kind of just trying to advance seven things at once while trying to have a thematic sort of thread coming through this because I suppose they they want this sort of, they want you they want to win you guys over right they want to woo you, <laughs> uh, and then feels like at some point I'm just tired. And then I fall asleep and I wake up the credits roll. So, so there's you know, that. What's it interesting just surprises in, me, yeah. What's interesting in what you're you're saying, Jakob, just to sort of uh, jump off of it a little bit, because I think there's a discussion to be had. What you're saying is, well, I've got a, we've got this action scene, and then we have to tell the story for a little bit. Action scene, and it's you know, lights on, lights off. You almost make it sound like a musical, and I think that there is an element of musicality, like film musicals in some of what Wu does. 
And I smell I an essay. Nick, handy. Uh, <laughs> so we yeah. have what? Seven days from now, <laughs> if you want <laughs> to come up with a face yeah, face well, as a musical. Leave it with me. Ballet of Bullets is a musical. <laughs> but <laughs> I I think that there's a, a piece here that's that's worth discussing because John Woo, if I remember correctly, he did grow up to a certain extent when the poor guy could see a movie on Hollywood musicals, and mm -hmm. he does have a love of Hollywood musicals. And I think that that is we and we've talked about, you know, the the ballet quality that's in some of the, the slow motion uh, action scenes. I think that's what the action scenes are. They're like his musical pieces. And there's choreography in there. And music is often a big part of these these action pieces as as well. And what you're describing, Jacob, is, is how I, I take a lot of musicals. Okay, I got the interruption of the music. That's its own thing. I sort of enjoy it on its own. And then back to the narrative. And then another musical set piece. It probably makes sense that that's in the work of, of John Woo. Um, because, you know, this, this film feels very musical. And, uh, you know, like we talked about the score and I, the choreography is very, very specific in some of these action scenes. Like I would, I would compare them to dance numbers in a way. Mm -hmm. So that's like, fair. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's, that's a very strategic piece. So yeah, you know, in a way I just find it interesting that, you know, you're processing it in a way that I would sometimes take some, some musicals, right. Where the, the music is sort of exceptional and I have to put it all aside. Now for me, I would. I would suggest that the business with the characters, especially, you know, especially the, the leads and what they're going through, I'm engaged with the characters throughout the narrative and also throughout the, uh, the action set pieces. So in terms of me riding on the back of someone, I don't get the interruption. Like I, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm mm -hmm. riding along with them and everything sort of works. Like I'm, I'm jiving with what I'm told. This is, this is the emotional beat here. I, I, cool. Yeah, I'm with it. And everything makes sense. And those relationships make sense. And then now it turns into an action. And I'm I'm with that too. And so anyway, I just thought I'd throw that out there. What do you, mm -hmm. you guys have any yeah, comments? I, I I definitely see the, the, the musical comparison. And I also think I think this, those interruptions, they, they work. Um, and they work in also elevating the the action scenes as well, they go beyond simply being there for, you know, for action sakes or for being cool, but also to, to move the story forward, to move the characters forward a little bit. Um, as an example, like I watched this film with my sister, someone who hates action movies. She finds them incredibly boring and she had a ton of fun with this film. And she I think it's because of this of fun, didn't she? <laughs> she did. She, I was, I was scared. It was like, she doesn't like action films, but she was interested because like, you know, it's a famous film after all. And, and she enjoyed it. And it was because of those moments. Like, we were talking after it. And she was like, yeah, you know, like, the action is a bit too long in parts. But, you know, there's, like, this thing that happens in the action scene. And there's this other thing. And there's the other. And that, that's, I, I don't think it takes things. I don't think, like, personally, at least, of course. But it doesn't take me out of the moment. If anything, it enhances it. And even those interruptions, they, they're always at the end of the action scenes. They're never, like, it's mm -hmm. mad slap in the middle. They're no, always they're just in like the middle, like of the whales. Whales, is, is this you? Here we are, just like pause, have this moment, and then we're and back. And then it slows Great. down, and the action scene with the FBI is over, and then John Travolta arrives. Like it's a bridge, it's a small bridge. Or like even with the with the opening chase, with the 
uh, with the plane, then there's a girl that gets shot, and then Sean stops, and then it bridges over to he gets in the helicopter. Like, those are small bridges. It's the emotional bits that you were talking about, Randy. Mm-hmm. I think they're necessary. I think that's something that was, as much as I enjoy them, they were lacking in uh, in Hard Target and in Broken Arrow. I yeah. think that's actually probably why I didn't love... I still don't love them as much as I do, like, with this film and other John Woo films. I think even Mission Impossible 2 has a lot of those things. There's a lot of those, you know, like, small emotional beats in the action scenes that makes them, yeah. you know, stand out from simply being there to be cool or to be, yeah. you know... And thematic and thematic beats too i would suggest yeah. because you've got these yeah. motifs and yeah like there's that is a nice moment where he actually knows who the the agent is that's invading that's great moments later at, with the mirror you have it's it's almost a freeze frame it's the slow motion uh, slows down so much that you've got this wonderful shot that mm. the brain has to process it where you have cage looking at himself in the mirror but you can also see his adversary behind the the wall as well so you've got this great look there's reflect there's this reflection of who i am but there's also this reality of who i am and it's just perfectly captured right there so there's this great little thematic mm-hmm. reminder of I'm reading really know, into this right yeah that's right because it's because it's it reminds there. me of someone with broken <laughs> arrow reading no, a little no, bit I, into I, it yeah well the phallic yeah. imagery is right there on the spot <laughs> the text there you know like john wood did <laughs> No, but, uh, well, what did I want to say? See, I, I like the, I can't remember, maybe, Nick, you, you brought the uh, Mission Impossible 2 to the table. I would say there is there is an argument to be made that, say, this thing has more in common with Mission Impossible 2 than, say, the films that came before it, let's just say, right? Yeah. However, I'll say, okay, well, un- until last year, I wasn't a big, a big fan of Mission Impossible 2 until I was won over when I finally saw the Western in it and I understood where, where, where the pieces fall for me to kind of just make sense. But on the same, like you could say, okay, well, you could le- I could level the same criticism at Mission Impossible 2 and say like, it's corny. It's like, look, none of this makes sense, right? But to me, it, the intent is different because I feel like in something like Mission Impossible 2, the characters all take this shit seriously. Like, they're not making light of the fact that the bomb is going to be just, you know, uh, or it's, let's just say it's going to be smoggy or something like this. No, they're not trying to un- undermine themselves. They're not trying to wink at me to, to, to show how hammy they're, they're trying to be. They're trying to they're, they're trying to be like Arnold Voslo just putting a performance of a lifetime, you know, <laughs> while saying Randall. It's, it, they're, they're, they're trying their best to kind of just put an actions uh, action set piece together and it just if it comes out corny then it comes out corny but uh, but these they're they're not trying to be Jared Leto in a fat suit whereas to me in here there is an attempt on behalf of some of the cast to really ham it up and then and then there's an attempt an attempt at, at, on behalf of the screenwriters to really just telegraph the drama to to a point that it's so saccharine so oversaturated with like it's so calorific because they they have only these nuggets of time. They have thirty seconds to con to convey this this drama between John Travolta and Joan Allen, for instance. That it's it's like a pill of sugar that that in isolation, maybe in a in a in a different context, it would probably probably work better. But it's just almost like a um, it's like again like it's a stopgap between these sort of and something different. And I kind of like the sort of musical analogy and i would even extend it to say like let's just say action films in general can probably trace their genealogy to musicals when you see action set pieces are essentially song numbers in any film 
in any action film where you have this sort of there's a choreography associated with it and then there's a there's a narrative that kind of comes after this so, so you can process whatever and then to me say for instance musicals have to sort of always have like two chances to succeed you can either su- succeed on the music or you can succeed on the narrative and if you succeed on both you have a banger in here like this is this is great right and if i were to u- use this analogy for instance this is a this is a musical where I really dig the music, but the story's shit. Because I'm there for the action. I'm there for 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 how they're making this happen. I'm I'm there for for the choreography. I'm there for for the experience of watching these people just interact in this sort of choreo. Even when they're hamming it up for for the set piece, like where they're just just being on the on the verge of 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 insanity in there. But the drama. It's dog shit. Like this just doesn't 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 just doesn't reverberate with me like one bit. I'm there for the action, and this is why I'm just thinking like I'm only halfway there. So it's a woo, but it's only partial woo, if you know what I mean. It's not a boo, it's still a woo, but just barely a woo. Wow, God love you, man. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm I am so on board for this. Like I and I. I really the caster Troy is typical to a certain extent '90s over the top villain, and love it. I feel like they're not taking this seriously. Like someone like Tony Scott would take this seriously. Like I I could feel like I don't know, and John Travolta and taking of the Pelham one to three is probably some is probably equally ridiculous. Mm -hmm. But I Mm -hmm. I can feel how there just there is earnestness in there. I feel there is. So a, a modicum of fakery somewhere in there. There's an undertone of in, in well, um, just non or not, not originality, but just uh, non authenticity in there. Just there's like they're they're having a go. They're having a they're taking a make in, in here. Just that's how I see I, it. I, I never saw it as being you know fake the performance of of the, the character of of Castor Troy like excessively like it is an excessive performance of course and very cartoonish villain but you know I, I don't want to use the the J card here uh, but it's kind of like Joker you know he oh, is that's my this... it's my note. it's a Batman film because like it, it is a Batman and Joker story. Yeah, it, it is. It very much is where they end up swapping places and they live in each other's shoes for a while. I, uh, I, yeah, I think at the end of the day, we can. It's not about changing <laughs> your opinion. No, no, it, it, I don't. Think I appreciate it. it. I, I, I get what you mean, especially because like we had even conversations about Michael Bay, and you're not too big a fan of Michael Bay, mm-hmm. right? Oh, we're gonna get to it in a second. Don't worry. That's I was like, Michael Bay is gonna be name drops. Might as well. Uh, I saw some similarities. Like I was like, yeah, I think it's it's a very it's a different brand of action movie. That I think like yeah, I don't know if it's nostalgia for me because it's most of the movies that I saw when I was younger they were from the '90s, like this. So you know, I'm, I'm more attached to it than like other '80s action films. I don't know. Mm-hmm. For me, I wonder if what you're feeling is. A slight disingenuousness, especially compared to. Oh, say, that's the word I wanted to use, but this is me being a foreigner. I'm so sorry. Disingenuous. <laughs> but I wonder if what that is. Like, I feel that this is sort of a hyperbolic world, and it's it's a sci-fi type of world. And for me, it's it's okay. I'm accepting of almost like Eraser or 
Ah, yeah. Something like that where mm -hmm. it's it's beyond reality anyway, where as you get more grounded characters in what you'd see in a Tony Scott film, even if the style is excessive and over the top, there's a groundedness in the character work. And I guess maybe that's what I was trying to say when I feel that these characters aren't necessarily deep. And I'm okay with that because each moment that they're in feels genuine to make that moment work. And I do get a, <clears throat> I do get a character that's the sum of its parts. So, you know, I, I feel in the, the scene, the loss of the parent, and I feel in the scene later that, yeah, no, this is not a time to celebrate, uh, you know, with this is Travolta, of course. Um, like, I, I feel that this works, but I, I do also feel that there's, there's something with the characters that's not grounded, I'll say. And, but to me, this still totally works because I'm in this world which isn't adjacent and similar to my own. I, I'm in this world where you can have boob bombs, you know, easily planted in a convention center. So I, I'm okay with that. Like, to me, that's a bit of a function of the world and probably the original <clears throat> sci-fi script is that everything's sort of this heightened type of uh, movie and sensationalized in a way, as opposed to even Michael, Michael Bay films, like largely like the characters are meant to be sort of grounded in a way. <clears throat> so I'm, I'm sort of okay with that myself, but I half wonder if that's what you're taking uh, and that you're, that you're not okay with. Potentially this is, this, this is probably a way to distill it because when you say you mentioned something like Eraser, it's a good shout actually, but then to me, the answer is like the pushback would be Eraser is simple. Eraser is just, it's a simple narrative where it's, it's simple enough that you can hang an action, uh, a bunch of hang, action set pieces on it, so musical numbers on it, and then and the narrative is just a bunch of cliches that you can you can easily dismiss, and there's just a flavor of the month kind of just uh, on just appended to it. But you're there for the action, you're there for Arnold Schwarzenegger, you're there for James Caan, and you're there for Vanessa Williams being the sort of the crown uh, witness, uh, you know, on the run. Something like this. It's very simple. Like I told you the story of this film already in a, in a sentence. Try and distill this film in a sentence. Impossible, right? Oh, no. E I, equally, equally, you can... No, e I think this is simple. I think it's simple with a hook. Well... Like it's it has it's the simple. Hook. Yeah, simple plus the hook. So it's good guy versus bad guy, but Freaky Friday in the middle. You know, like, to me, I... To me, like, like it plays out straightforward. this. Good guy versus bad guy, Freaky Friday in the middle. Forget the family, forget the other family, forget this. It will be much more. I think there's there's too much fat on this that kind of distracts me from this. I can know fat is flavor, but too much fat is just like my my veins are now on fire. Okay, let's just put it that way. But like like equally, I could say like déjà vu is difficult to kind of summarize summarize in a simple way. It's something that. Okay, well, there is a story about this guy, and then he's just—it's—it's—it's—it's it's, it's, it's difficult to to boil down to a simple sentence, right? But equally, I feel like the—they're not having a piss. They're this. Like, I feel like there's there's more there, there's more genuine sort of honesty in that film. Like these people are actually trying to make me believe that this is this shit's real, whereas these people in here in face face offs trying to let me know that this is a joke. Most of the time, they're, they're they're trying to let me know we're in a cartoon universe. By the way, get on with the program. Only when we're not, but we'll let you know as this happening because well, because we also want you to feel some human feelings as well. So just every now and again, we're just gonna transition to a live action drama, 
only for a second, and then we're back into a cartoon world. And for me, this of the transitions, I mean, I get if this is your bag, fine. But for me, this this these transitions are what takes me out. I, I, I would say these things happen, honestly, though, in almost every John Woo film we've talked about, even the Chinese ones. I know we haven't yet recorded our hard-boiled mm. conversation, but even that one has quite a lot of, you know, like comedic moments here and there that could take, potentially could take someone out. This will be a moment. Yes. <laughs> this will be a conversation, not today. Um, but I, do, I, I think, like, I, I think you said it, Randy, at the beginning of this discussion, like, um, right from the opening when when Sean Archer's son is killed, it's a very powerful, powerful, powerful opening scene. Where it's like, oh, she's she killing a baby in the first two minutes of the film. And this feeling of, like, this value of the human life is present constantly throughout. You know, you have the FBI agent who's shot in the plane. You have all of the others that John Travolta makes a toast to. Um, you have, like, the death of Nick Cassavetes, the death of... Uh, of, of uh, 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 Alexander Neville are like the brother of, of uh, Castor Troy, like Pollux, Castor and Pollux, of course. Like you have all of those of, of those it's elements. Very cartoon universe again. <laughs> it's it, but it's fun. It's fun. It's fun. I know. I know. And, I know. Like, and, like I'm, all I'm of those the cartoon. It's the, the transition to the the bitter neo realism of trying to be in a domestic situation in a film that's trying to kind of capitalize on the success of True Lies. It's kind of like okay, this is it's too I, much in too short a span of time it's too sweet Ugh. I, I i think it's still fairly you know fairly well balanced all things considered there are only a couple parts for me that are a bit you know cringy uh that i'm not laughing with i'm just kind of like a bit put off that don't necessarily work but overall it's it's you know it's uh, again it's a personal thing it just works um it manages to be emotional and funny without the two necessarily coming in contrast with one another um, it's to me, it's, it's easily uh, John Woo's best American mm-hmm. film. So while we're on this, by the way, so it's a, I think it's a good segue, especially of, from that last sentence of yours. And uh, I mean, this may may transition also in a in a way to kind of the hot take I, ha- I have in my up my sleeve anyway. Oh, no. um, but uh, here's a question: Would you say that this film? Because like I think an in, in important piece of the puzzle is that this is one of the, and maybe the only one, I'm not sure about Wind Talkers and Paycheck. At, at least until this point, maybe including Mission Impossible 2, this is the only per- in film that John Woo made in, in Hollywood where the studio didn't try to get in the way. So the studio producers weren't really or constantly pitching in. It's like, here's how you should do it. Here's we, how we'd like to, this to be done. Would you say that this film is, after all, a John Woo film? Is this is this what is this in his filmography? Would you say would you would you would you convey some modicum of authenticity on the film itself and say like yes this this belongs on the same shelf with everything else that he's done? Is this is this sort of streamlined with the rest of his career, or is this an evolution of his career, or is or has he been hampered somehow? Oh, that's a good point. Actually, I think it's one hundred percent a John Woo film, more so than both Broken Arrow and Our Target, because of the lack of studio interference and because of the higher creative freedom that he had. Um, to me, it's as I said, it's easily his best American film. Not to spoil the next two movies we'll be talking about, uh, <laughs> but but it is indeed, in my opinion, an evolution for him. Because this is when he gets more attached to, you know, a different type of storytelling, in a way you could say. 
it is way more Hollywood-like, while still having elements, you know, if you, if you use author theory, there are a lot of connections to his Hong Kong films, The Brother mm-hmm. in Arms, and all of that. Like, all of it is present, everything that we talked the about. Goddamn already. doves. The doves come back, the religious the imagery. There are some seagulls, too. I love it. There are <laughs> seagulls, yeah. I love it. Um, but the the next movies that he would make would will be... Uh, Wind Talkers and Paycheck, and then he would go back to Hong Kong, kind of, but not really, before making, you know, like Redcliffe and the other things. He embraced a more, you know, a, a different way of shooting action. I'd even say it's, I think it's what happens when you get a lot of money. Mm-hmm. You get a lot of money, and it just changes the way that you can make movies. You're not just like one camera at a time, trying to do the best you can in Hong Kong, and then I can hire like three cameramen and just still shooting on the streets raw, one or two takes tops. Like here, you can do very complex stunts, very dangerous, you know, like chases, high octane with a yeah. airplane and twenty cars and a chopper, and it's insane. And after that, it will try to. Um, find this type of you know this excessive as a bombastic action i'd say not just excessive just bombastic and the only kind of captures it again with red cliff but even something like manhunter in 2017 which is more of a greatest hits films for him it's it's no face-off i think he kind of peaked here in terms of you know post hard-boiled career like when he went to hollywood and everything that happened after it this is when everything then slowly just went to I, I think that this is the most Wu film that there is, you know, and, you know, there's a lot of gaps in his filmography that, you know, films I haven't seen, I haven't seen Red Cliff, but I'll, I'll put this out there that I think this is, is absolutely the most Wu film that you're going to get. And, and to a certain extent, probably one of his most personal films. I think that a lot of his history is, is in here. I think growing up, um, he was subjected to, you know, a lot of violence and, you know, poverty and growing up basically in the streets. And he was given a chance because I think that there was a Christian parish that sponsored him and his family. And that's what helped get him out of poverty, get him into school and helped put him on his way. So he's, he's a Christian. I think that is in here. I think that growing up the streets and constantly getting beat up by thugs that would basically take his lunch money. I think that was a real thing. Um, like he got beat up a lot just by going out his front door. I think that the violence around him that he would see that ends up being what he uses creatively to tell stories that, you know, the same way that, you know, artists will just use what's in their environment to create art. And I think that's, that's, that's how he tells his story. He's never really been one to speak you know, for violence, he's always like, I, I want to glorify the heroes and I want to glorify people's outcomes. I, and he always seems to strive for some sort of human connection between characters in his films. And I would argue they don't always work. You know, like I, that to me is one of the, the biggest demerits in Broken Arrow. I see the very clear attempt to have this uh, bro rivalry between Travolta and Slater. And it's just it, the, the core of it doesn't quite hit for me. And I, I mentioned in that episode or discussion, that was sort of my my weak point in uh, Broken Arrow. But here he is seeing like heartache and people get through, 
you know, trauma as a family and togetherness and love. And these elements, like they are sort of hokey and they're hallmark type of things, but he is really going after that the way that he goes for, you know, the the brother in arms business in, in The Killer and, you know, the, you know, the romantic love to a certain extent in Once a Thief. Like they're very simple things that he goes after, but here he's got them and he's got no interference really in terms of telling his story. So he doesn't have, um, you know, other producers from the studio hanging out saying, you know, cut this, do this this way, set the relationships up this way. And he hasn't really had that in his career, except maybe in hard boiled to a certain extent. I think he had a lot of freedom in that. So I think he's doing everything he wants. He's got his, uh, call out to Christianity with the business in the chapel. And that's him saying, you know, thank you to, you know, you know, his religion and the people that helped him out. I think that he's able to construct this, this, this ballet of bullets exactly how he wants. He's got a budget that he hasn't really had before. I'm pretty sure this budget was 80 million. And I think that, yeah, that was more than broken arrow. So Mm -hmm. I think he's only got the collaborators around him that are positive and supportive and working with him. I, I think that he's embraced at this point in Hollywood. What he really wants to do is make actors look good. And he's got some of the, the highest quality star quality actors at his disposal. Like this is a rich, rich cast of talent. And you've got Cage and Travolta at the height of doing what they do. And this is just star power, star power, star power. Like they, to, to me, they just command every moment they're in. And then you've got this amazing dramatic actress who, who sells these, yes, Hallmark moments, yes, maybe cheesy melodrama, but jo- Joan Allen, she is so good here in these moments. Gina Gershon, again, so good in these small moments. They're really, really effective. Um, so I think that this is as much woo as you're ever going to get in a film because it's woo unplugged and he is tapping into everything from his, you know, from, from his, in his being, I think it's all in here. And, uh, you know, it, to me, it, it totally works and it, it, it's the best. A lot of these pieces have ever worked together in one of his films. All right. I yield the floor. <laughs> <laughs> that's a lot that's a lot to say uh, yeah. well that's interesting takes because I feel exactly the opposite and I'll tell you why <laughs> no I, I see where you guys are coming from and just say okay well, if I look at it look at it through your eyes yeah, yeah it makes sense but I'm, I'm see and this is coming from me like I, I watched the opening of the film and it doesn't look like a John Woo opening because for me even hard boiled's kind of like that. The, I watched something like hard boiled. I watched something even the earlier sort of the. Uh, I can't remember. Anyway, the better I, tomorrow. I feel. I think I've seen the killer. Very very way. But but then it feels like it's a, a key. He owes a lot to Sergio Leone. And then like he, he works kind of like he does as well. Like there are these mm-hmm. notes where he just like plays music to in before sad moments to kind of just make John Allen cry right. It's just something that Sergio Leone would do. He would just play music on set just to get people in the, mo- in the right mood, right? I feel like he just kind of works in a similar way. I'm not sure if he does it con- consciously because he feels like, you know, he, he needs to jerk off Sergio Leone's memory a little bit. It is more of a Jean-Pierre Melville type than Sergio Potentially, Leone. yeah. I'll so, say that. So I, I don't know about that, but I watched the film 
in the very beginning, the carousel scene, and just think like, this doesn't look like a John, John Woo sort of aesthetic to me. This looks more like a Ridley Scott film. Why? Why does it? Why do I feel like this? And then I watched the set piece in the beginning. Who told? Like, that's that's weird. Why does he? What's the point for the um, the gradient on the lens? There's a gradient, like you can see this. You know, like the, the sun is almost black up 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 top. He's never done this. Why? Why now? I'm scratching my head. And then you watch this two and like it's a two and a half hour film full of action and then inconsistently tonally just spliced with dramatic elements trying to undercut itself. It's a Michael Bay film in disguise. And I'm just thinking, okay, is this... And I'm just thinking to myself, okay, well, I need to Google this. And I Googled, it's like, did, did, were there like studio interferences in there? Because I feel like there's tonally inconsistent to me, like as I've, I've tried to outline here. And I'm just like, okay, well, no, there weren't any. And I'm just like, is... Is the reason why there weren't any because he finally just g- broke and then it was just, well, I'm going to make a Hollywood film the way they would like me to make a Hollywood film. Because it feels to me like I'm watching this, the sparks and everything. They don't feel John Woo-ish to me. They feel, they, it feels almost, it, it feels grandiose, too grandiose for John Woo for me. It's just very odd. Like I felt like this is, there is some fakery in there, like in terms of, and just is like inauthenticity sort of baked into this. Why? Why do I feel like this? And I realize, well, Michael, this is a Michael Bay style because Michael Bay owes a shit ton to John Woo. Let's, let's just be frank about this. So if you watch The Rock, if you watch Bad Boys, you watch The Island, anything that he's made, he owes a lot to Tony Scott and John Woo. And then if you if you owe a lot of to, to Tony Scott, then you owe a lot of Ridley Scott to to Ridley Scott as well. And I just feel to myself like I feel like there's there's a like it, you know I feel like there's some some there, there there there's a compromise that's been made in here because it feels like you know, Michael Bay is making John Woo inspired films in Hollywood because this was his allure, just like fast cutting, just camera was very kinetic. This is exactly what John Woo was doing, but he's doing this on this massive budget and whatever, the sparks flying everywhere. It's just everything, throwing throw everything at the wall, kitchen sink and, and everything, a domestic situation there, a, a drama over there, action set piece, fat girl eating a sandwich, everything, right? It's just, it's just... And it's, it's, it feels like The Rock. And then I'm just thinking to myself, this could have been the studio note that they wanted because it's a Touchstone film. Touchstone needed a hit. And just before that, The Rock made a shit ton of money for uh, Jerry Bruckheimer, right? And then I feel like Touchstone was one of, was a studio that was just, we really need to make sure that we were, ma- we're making something big in here. So they hired Nicolas Cage, who was just about after The Rock and then he just about did Connor, and then he, I think, won an Oscar for leaving Las Vegas just before that, right? So let's just let's just do the Touchstone version of The Rock. I feel I'm being cynical in here just a little bit. So I feel like the I, I have a thing that the reason why there were no studio interferences is because John Woo understood the assignment. It was like he's supposed to make a Hollywood Im- imitation of what he does, which is essentially what Michael Bay was doing already and was very successful at it. That's sort of my cynical take on this. And then on top of this, this is this is this is where you really shit your pants. This is where this film becomes a metaphor for this. Because he's essentially taking his own face off 
and putting Michael Bay's face on. He's remain he's trying to remain himself while pretending he's someone else. Boom. <laughs> That's give us five minutes to, you know, digest <laughs> all of that. And it plays even better in in, in 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 comparison, if you if you pair it with the broken arrow take I had, where he was trying, it was a metaphor for the sort of the the, the Hong Kong guy squaring off against the metaphor for a big producer with his massive radioactive dick, right? <laughs> where he uh, well, in that film he was he defeated the producer at what cost? Because well, Roger Ebert and, and critics all alike didn't like it. Now he seems. To give in to the to the, to the flavor of the month of the time. Okay, well, fine. You don't want my stuff. I'll give you what you think is my stuff. So they, they, you want me to cher- you want to cherry pick what do you think is good about what I do? Fine, let's have this. And I'm gonna ham this up a little bit. So I so which is exactly what to me this, the big metaphor is this of the big uh, scene in prison where Nicolas Cage is still getting used to being Nicolas Cage and he sees his brother and he's just like, who the fuck is this guy? And he just does the, ah! like he's just, this is, this is him just, just pretending he's, he's more flamboyant than he really is while inside he's someone else. That's kind of how I feel it. Anyway, take it or leave it. <laughs> I have a feeling there's, a, there's an essay I'm going to write on this. This is. I was just going to say, I want, I want the essay. And in terms of take it or leave it, I respectfully leave it. Yeah. yeah. I, I like it. I don't. Yeah. But, but I guess on your side of the fence, like if you're not on board with this world, if you're not on board with this, then your bucket holds more water, I guess. But I, I don't know. Like I see this as, as genuinely working in sort of the constructs of the world of the, the film. So I, like, yeah, I see that this is Wu finally being allowed to do whatever he's ever wanted to do. And I think a more sappy, earnest, heartfelt family story, I think that's sort of the centerpiece of what he often wants to do. But when he was in Hong Kong, he was bound by the trends of the day. So like in the late seventies, I think he started doing a couple martial arts films and comedies and these weird things. Um, and then when he was getting into Better Tomorrow, it, it was more what was the trend of the day. So he would fish the, the stories that people wanted told. He would fish through them and he would find something. Oh, that's got a connection of brotherhood in arms. And that's got a connection, cops and robbers that are, you know, loyal, ironically enough, loyal to one another. Like he, he looks for that type of emotional connection. And I think it's more the emotional connection that he wants to see between the characters rather than fully developed characters. Uh, like that's sort of what I see in his work. And here though, I, I see those types of emotional beats and they simple in their own right, but they work, they, they work for me. And I think this is exactly what he wants to do. I think this is completely him. I don't think this is uh, him constructing a, hallmark bullshit drama in the middle of all of his fisticuffs and uh, bullet ballets. I, I think that this mm-hmm. is Wu's story, sort of where his heart is. I think through all of this, I, I think that he wants to tell a story of connection or something that is more poetic at its at its core. I think that and here with the budget, with these actors and with the, the luck of stumbling across this script and whatever touch ups he and his team made to it, I think he's got 
totally what he wants. That's that's my I mean, take. That's what I see. Yeah, I I think this theory of yours could work really well. A, if John Woo didn't have the career that he had up until this mm-hmm. point, because I think it's there's a there's a clear progression. I've seen pretty much everything is made from 1983 or four. I want to say up until like modern days, and it's I I think it's very much one of his films, but. If he didn't have all of that behind him, it could work. If it was like only his first film in general, I can see him trying to put that face on. Or it could work if you were talking about Soy Hawk. <laughs> now, he would be the guy putting on the other person's face, trying to blend in, like pretending to be what he's not, which he kind of did, as we discussed in the Patreon episode that you should definitely go check out, listeners, $3 a month. But yeah, I, I completely agree with everything you said, Randy. Like it's it's uh, it's a fun theory. I like fun theories like this. And honestly, if it makes you like the film more in a very weirdly cynical way, then so be it. It only makes me happy <laughs> for you. Like I don't dislike the film. Like so, for instance, with everything that Randy said, I agree. Like yes, I think this is what's happening in here. I just feel like the certain tonal inconsistencies switch me off, and then that's that's just on me. What I feel is happening in here is like, say, like I see these coincidences, like this film coming exactly one year after The Rock. And if you actually look at The Rock versus this, like aesthetically, very similar looking films. Also two and a half hours long, very sort of convoluted plot, very, very thick in, in terms of storytelling, which... Previous films were well, okay. Well, something like Hardballs. Let's just say it, it is mm. plot-wise a little bit complex, but equally boiled down to a simple showdown, right? Versus, I don't. I just feel like this is there. There is a commercial aspect to it that explains a lot of John Woo having a lot of say over over what he was trying to do is because he was he was towing the line. I would say more than he, he was smuggling his own i would say he was still smuggling his own identity to it but i feel like this is a this is him pulling in like bringing in an, a hollywood approximation of what these people wanted versus necessarily what he really wanted i i may be wrong with this but i think this might be different if the movie was in cantonese if the movie was you know the same exact movie but in hong kong mm-hmm. Like, literally just change the actors and and it's set in Hong Kong. Same exact movie, same actions, same beat. I think it could work better. Because, honestly, there's, like, you, you speak of tonal inconsistencies. They're present in all of the John Woo movies from before. And there's so many cheesy moments of, like, dialogue between characters. There's so many parts that, like, the action stops for a joke. Um, there's some banter that doesn't work. There's some questionable sexual politics here and there, like it, that. And that's when I go like, yeah, it's a John Woo film. The only difference is that we recognize the actors. Uh, it's a language that we're very fluent in. Um, it's something that probably hits a bit harder. I don't think we. I don't know if we had this conversation already. Maybe it was. I think we. This is something we talked about with City on Fire, where there are these these moments of levity that are just out of left field, and they're just like, what is this doing here, right? Exactly, like it's it's probably a cultural change that that's even even in a smaller way though the other two films do have, but here it's more prominently featured, mm-hmm. of course. I mean, I would say that okay, maybe maybe we're, I well maybe this is again on me. I'm kind of more likely to 
excuse certain things when we're done in a different language because I always give the benefit of the doubt of me not being able to possibly say, okay, is this something that I just not, I'm not reading properly because I'm not familiar with the melody of the language. I don't know what this potentially means. Yeah. Is this something lost in translation in here? I don't know. Versus when everything is laid on, played on, played on plain old kings or queens, then it's kind of like, okay, it looks odd. And I feel maybe this is it. Maybe maybe I'm reading this wrong, and this is this is bona fide, hundred percent woo. Is just when translate hundred percent woo translated to English, kind of just looks tonally jarring to me because he is essentially trying to pull in the Hong Kong cinema vibe into a Hollywood setting, and it just doesn't gel the way it should for me. I wouldn't be surprised if you were gonna watch this film again in like two or three years, and you're gonna be like, no, okay, I get it now. <laughs> Potentially, Maybe yeah. just I, a thing of the a thing of the month, you know. Maybe it's even the opposite because, like, when you when we had the Mission Impossible conversation one year ago, I remember you saying that watching it out of context from the whole Mission Impossible franchise, it really worked, and it mm-hmm. was the reason why you really enjoyed it. I can see this maybe working in the opposite way. Instead of going, you know, film by film through Wu's American career, if you're just, you know, one day watching. Like I'm watching Armageddon and uh, yeah, and like The Rock, and then you go into Face Off, and you'll be like, yeah, this this slaps, <laughs> you know. But see, it's see, in banger. this context, you watch it. I think it may actually feels to me like it fits more like, not like as a follow up to Hard Target, Broken Arrow, Face Off. It feels more like a follow up to um, The Rock, Connor, This, and Armageddon. Just where you're, enough, kind of, you know. where you're in the same frame of mind. It's just it just so happens that I have a I I react to Michael Bay the way a cat reacts to an onion. Just <laughs> <laughs> so. it's that late nineties brand of action. It's not. But this it's is not a progression, and this is a progression for Wu, right? So in terms of how long his leash was in, in Hollywood. So there we talked about this. There was little or no trust for the man when he came over to do. Hard target. The like point of hiring Sam, Sam Raimi to make sure that Sam. he wouldn't shit the bed. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, and then you ha- you give him a little bit more of a budget for Broken Arrow, but there's still, you know, tampering and studio guys are on set and double, double uh, second guessing everything that he does. So here, but each one of those was successful in their own right. So this each one of those projects got a little bigger. And I, I think this this probably speaks to that to a to a certain level. It's like, okay, well, he didn't screw up Hard Target. That made a bit of money. He didn't screw up Broken Arrow. That made quite a bit of well, money. He kind of, again. he kind of did, right? Kind of did what? Screwed up? Uh, screw up. I mean, uh, oh, for, for some reason, sound, sound kind of cut off. I thought you finished speaking. <laughs> uh, no, I was wondering whether he's he screwed up a little bit in 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 the view of the studio because he may have made a little bit of money, but that but that there was no critical longevity to the film, so they were they weren't like culturally lasting, right? To me, I I would assume, and I think that there's probably all kinds of examples to support this. I think that that the studio is totally fine with him taking hard target, even though it missed its opening because it was targeted, I think you were saying, for a release in December. Mm-hmm. But if you take Hard Target and you release it in the cold of winter... Oh, that was Broken uh, Arrow, sorry. Yeah, Broken Arrow. Uh, you release it in the cold of winter and it makes 150, 160 million worldwide. I think everyone was thrilled with that. I mean, and now, I, I, you know what? I, I don't even know whether I should actually write this piece because I was just like thinking to myself, <laughs> there's something in there. 
and I'm just thinking to myself, maybe I get this, maybe I got this wrong, but I really like the metaphor. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, maybe I should just do it just for shits and giggles. Just, you, know, you know, the end like, justifies the means. <laughs> no, start, I mean, I, sometimes start. I will write something and I'll just halfway through, I'll just start just, um, just questioning like, it, just questioning it, and then just end up kind of on the other side of the fence by the end of the piece. So it's kind of like a work in progress. But it's just like one of those things. I don't want to get let this go because I have this sort of Travolta's radioactive dick, and I have this sort of Michael Bay sort of Hannibal Lecter wearing a face sort of situation in my head, which is sort of like this one time I I really wanted to write a piece about Paddington being Jesus, and I ended up doing it anyway. So, wait, have you have you seen? Have both of you seen Windwalkers already? Windtalkers. Windtalkers. I've yeah. seen it like four it. times. Oh, okay, okay. I saw it a long time ago, but just the once. I've, you know, I've maybe re- the connections can continue in progress. It can be a bigger project by the end of it. You know, with each yeah. progressing film, there's something more that adds to I'll, it. Yeah, I'll probably, like, I'll sit down to watch Windtalkers on a Wednesday, and I'll be just like, I have, like, 1,500 words on this, and it's just like, it's all for not now. I have to add the Windtalkers into this metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's like, oh, my, it's the three-hour cut of Windtalkers. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, but yeah. I hope that's what we're all watching. I mean, <laughs> whatever I can find on DVD, I think it, it, is what I'll be watching because I don't. Director yeah, Scott. Director Scott. Anyway, I, I have a feeling this, this is probably a good point to kind of just wrap this up and then bring this baby home. Because there's there's two champions in here and there's one one sort of agnostic in the room. It's not like I hate it, but you know, like Nico, tell me once again. Tell us all. Can we, before we get into our final take, sorry if that's if that's okay. where we're going. I just wanted to add a couple things that I I found out. Have you guys seen the alternative ending to Face Off? I've read about it. I forgot. I it. Oh my goodness! It's so after everything happens and Archer gets home safely and he's in his domestic life again. Ah. There, you basically have almost the same Cooper from Twin Peaks season two shot. Where he looks in the mirror and he sees uh, he sees Nicolas Cage on the other side of the mirror. Such a cop so, out, by the way. That's that's uh, last yeah. night in Soho, right? <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> yeah, to me, this is like a Twin Peaks ending. Just like here's Bob. Can yeah. Jesus so I think they really? wisely, and it's a really cool shot. Like I got it's a really cool shot. Like I'm trying to figure out exactly this. how they do it because there's definitely reflection where you've got Travolta reflection of Travolta. Camera turns to see Joan Allen come in. Camera goes back, and it's uh, Nicolas Cage standing. And you've got the reflection both of, well, you've got the reflection of Joan Allen for sure. And then you've got it's anyway. It's a really cool, cool shot, but it doesn't it doesn't work because it's just leaves that element. I thought I'd run that. And did you guys know that this this inspired Infernal Affairs, Andy Lau's Infernal Affairs, which is what The Departed was. Mm-hmm. It kind of feels on. like that. I have a note just like this. this yeah. This must, there must be a connection with Inferno Affairs. Uh, okay, if we were into little notes as well, did you notice how he long screams? No, but I, there was a Wilhelm scream. I did. I did notice it. <laughs> ah, shoot. Did. Hold on, because I'll find it. How we long when we talked about it. Yeah. When we talked about it last time, I was like, ah, that's, there it is. There's a long scream. <laughs> There's in the, hold on, I'll find it. No, not yet. So that's when they're when they're taking them for these electroshocks. Ah, 
are right in the prison. Yeah. Right. Hold on. Yeah, 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 yeah. Nice, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> cool. <laughs> I wondered too if the. <laughs> I wondered if the ear loss thing again was another loving reference to Reservoir Dogs and his buddy Tarantino. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, like, you can see how they're out. humming this up, like this sort of multiple Mexican standoff in the end, right? Where there's just yeah. like, like. But it feels like it just goes into the sort of South Park level of parody. It's just like, not only do we have four people, it's just like, now Joan Wu is kind of like, just like, just winking at Quentin. This is how you do multiple people in a Mexican standoff, by the way, right? And then just like, hold on, there's more. Like, you just feel like, like Matthew Lillard in, in Scream. But wait, there's more. And there's just more people show up and they're a kid and then everyone. And like, for some reason, like all this needs like Benny Hill as well. And just like a full on orchestra <laughs> and an elephant and everything. Just like, <laughs> it's just I do. Show up. Like, honestly, before we go, like, oh, it could be a way to transition into Final Thoughts. I don't know. But like, I do really like how that final, like that Mexican stand of is staged because I know like even talking with some friends and reading some reviews, it's seen as as a negative by some because it's like it's a bit confusing. You don't see the action; you just see the shots of the handguns. I'm like, that's true, but it works. Like you've already had multiple shootouts in this movie. You don't need yet another shootout of ten people shooting at each other in slow motion, diving and dodging. It's like you don't need that. I kind of like that it takes a different approach to it and just makes it a bit more lyrical almost in a way intercutting shots of the cross and of doves flying in the air with these extreme close-ups of barrels firing it's all you care about is the climax after that you don't need five more minutes of people shooting at each other and then you can go into the meat of the final chase and final face-off you know but see this is where okay i i'm in there for this lyrical doves fly just close-ups of guns just the bullets coming at me like a dick <laughs> it's just make it 3d no but I, I i'm in there i i'm i'm in there with you saying like we don't need to see this in again in a four camera coverage mm -hmm. with 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 poor old poor old dp just running in a steady cam rig like an absolute ding dong and probably in a 40 degree heat right Jeez. it's fine when when you slow this down it's just this lyrical great moment happens right after they're trying to make a joke out of like they're trying to make be self-aware they're trying to be again jack jared leto in a in a, in a fat suit where they're just okay well here's seven more people that come into this <laughs> into this mexican stand-up just to make it a bit ridiculous i feel like this is where the tonal jarring to me where it just just play it straight. Like have these five people, but m stay serious. Just be in the moment. Don't like when J Travolta's going like, "Oh, what's going on?" In there? Just no, keep it to yourself. Just stay, stay focused. Just, just be in the moment with with, with these guns. Be in the moment with me, because if you're not in the moment, I'm not in the moment. And then whenever this transitions to these like lyrical things, I'm still not in the moment. I'm getting over this, and it's just this is what you know undercuts this for me. That's just how I see it. Final thoughts. Now it's time, right? Unless you guys still have something that you need to get off your chests. Well, you know, I'll just say if Nicolas so. Cage let me suck his tongue, I would be grateful. <laughs> <laughs> what a moment. Iconic, I would say. Well. 
Is that your That's final, final thoughts? thoughts. <laughs> okay. Randy, <laughs> what do you so good. I'd suck Nicholas Cage's tongue. tongue. <laughs> My <laughs> final thoughts. Is she right? My final final thought is that this is just a wonderful ripe peach, and I could eat this peach for hours. Yes. Well, do you want me to ruin your ruin peaches for you? If you cut a peach in half, the peach looks like what your toilet sees when you're taking a shit. Nice. With a stone coming out, just. <laughs> just well, you saying. know, peaches have been ruined by uh, call me by your name, so you know. I'm like, how did he do this without removing the stone? By the way, it's just. So, I mean, I don't want to go there. PP very small. <laughs> <laughs> that's the that's the I charm of the Charlemagne. <laughs> so okay. yeah, I'm summarize your thoughts. My peach is not ripe yet. I'll, it's just it's still a woe. It's just. Uh, I can't get over this of so these tonal inconsistencies. It's just like I'm trying. I'm, 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 I love you both, but I'm, I'm really trying to see this through your eyes. And I'm, I think I'm, I think I'm kind of just getting better at this sort of understanding of where you guys come from and helping. But I'm still not fully there. I'm, I'm definitely sure this is a promise to myself and to you guys to kind of sit down and watch this within the next year or two and see, see it outside of the context, as you said, outside of the context of watching these things one by one. And see how it flies. Hmm. Until then, I think just a small wool. Honestly, I don't like. Personally, it's a great party movie. Like if you have friends over and uh, doing things. Like I watched this during the during the quarantine in the in the UK. I was watching some action films, and this was one of the more successful one with my flatmates. Are these in the quarantine? Do you want me to call the cops on you? Well, no. Like <laughs> with the flatmates, we were stuck there. So we were just watching movies after that's movies, what, and we—that's what Boris guys, used to say. It's my house. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, it's not. It's your—it's your place of work, you dickhead. <laughs> I think this was Nicolo's cohort. Yes, yes. Cramped <laughs> into the kitchen of of the student residence, just cut all together watching Face Off. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was successful. Like those types of movies, I think. Like I, I do like watching them alone, but. Some of them do really work better with more than one person. Mm-hmm. Like your sister talking shit about it throughout all of it, but still enjoying it, you know. Oh, yeah. I mean, I can talk shit about this. Like, I'm just, it's not like I hate this. I, I can still just, just think for like two days straight about how do I apply a Michael Bay and, and face-swapping face metaphor onto this that kind of somehow ties into metal dicks from the previous film. It's just, you know, for me, this is fun. <laughs> it's just, I didn't have this much fun watching this, and I actually feel like I was robbed out of the, robbed of the sort of experience for some reason. I don't know why. You needed anyway. to use the boob bomb in your analogy somehow. I probably should. I probably should. This is, okay. <laughs> Rethink and get back to us. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. This, this needs next week. This needs to happen. Like, come on. Like, I'm, like I'm, I have like two other pieces in the works that I'm just slowly adding a sentence or two every time I have a I have a minute. <laughs> but you know. Anyway, in the meantime, how about we transition to our top threes and bottom threes and peace out? How about that? Top threes. Sure thing. Yeah. Sure. I'll I'll go. Um. So I'll start. I've got a list of six. I really like the opening cage is a priest and 
singing of Handel's Messiah, and he says Messiah's, uh, you know, we say Handel's a hack. Love that. He grabs, you know, this young girl's ass and makes this face. It is perfect, over the top, 90s villain. It sets the tone, and it also has this weird, nice, ethereal quality with the music. It's just, it's classy, but it's also classy. 80s classy 80s hyperbole the music and the the way that it's shot and but then you've got the action nasty and 90s villainy i just think it's a great opening he loves Um, sexual harassment here yes (laughs) non-consensual in the context of the narrative because he he doesn't slap he slaps and squeezes which is a dick move if you think about it that's yeah that's Rap? Caster Troy right there. That is Slaps and We have covered a lot of great 90s villains, I got to say, in the last couple months. Uh, number five, because I have six of these. Number five, I, I like the opening even just before that. I do like the opening scene, mostly in slow-mo, the merry-go-round, the close-up of you know Cage's eye and him drinking the soda. And his mustache is sort of cool. And that is a... That is a shout to That's a shout to Chow Yun Fats. Uh, and was it the killer that he had that mustache? I think so. A fake one, yeah. Yeah. So for a sniper rifle shot. That's right. That's right. Oh. Yeah. So that totally works in terms. So you've got a lot of great setup that really works um, for me at least. And the whole film launches off of these great setups for the the good guy and the bad guy. Uh, number four, still in the opening, the airstrip. So the 10 or 15 minute action sequence with the plane, the one plane, there's like eight or nine vehicles plus a helicopter. They try to run the plane off the road. It is just great. You've got Cage hanging out the side of the plane and in the cockpit being wickedly evil and throwing bodies out and making these <laughs> men- type of faces. It's just show-stopping character work. It's show-stopping set piece. And what I love about it is like we, we sort of joked about, well, that, yeah, Nolan, you you did that in Tenet. This is a throwaway thing for Face Off. This is not a big part of any of the promos that we see. It might have been in there, but this is this is just a, a day at the office for, for it's John. It's the 90s, Wu. baby, right? It's absolutely... You don't have a half an hour feature right on <laughs> Yeah, you know, either CG or you just make a whole spiel about this because no one actually gets to cast the ruin a plane, right? Ah, I missed the nineties actually. When you... <laughs> uh, number three, and this this goes to we talked about this Wu's talent for making his actors look good. So I'll just use this example. I love in the prison the slow mo door opening shot and the camera cutting back and forth. Uh, the prison where we meet Travolta. We haven't seen Travolta for, you know, 10 or 15 minutes probably. And we see him and then Travolta full of piss and vinegar and caster character. <laughs> he goes, ooh, wee, you're good looking. You're hot. It's awesome. It's just great. Um, I really like number two, the over the rainbow moment, the shootout, the, the heart and the tenderness. Yes, Hallmark stuff, but it really works. It really works here. And There's a story it's this behind separation. it, by the way. Did you know this? Pardon? There's a story behind this, by the way. Did you know this? I don't, except I know it's Olivia Newton-John. Yeah, so it's something that John... It's not in the script. Yeah. 
it's not in the script. John Woo kind of came up with this on the spot. He was just like, let's do this because I think he... It's in Hard Boiled, I think, as well, a similar scene. Yep. Or is it not? Oh, never mind. See, it, and... it... Anyway, yeah, so I, don't, I don't know, but this is yeah, it's something that Wu he does. Th- he, thought, he thought of this on the spot, and the studio guys were like, you have to pay for this yourself because the rights to the song you'd have to pay for. So he paid for it himself. And then when the film became a massive success, the studio gave him back the money. <laughs> right, yeah. And see, this nice is a, this is another example of him. He's he's finding a moment within the action to not just do the action and not just have that that fun and that, that dance number with the bullets. He's also finding a thematic or an emotional beat in it. And uh, it just it's just really classy. It, 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 I, I really enjoy that. See, that's that a moment. classy moment. This yeah. is not too it, it, sweet, not too sour, just right. Yeah. That's a good moment. That's there you go. It's a good peach. Um, and then, <laughs> and then number one, the mirror, the back to back with the mirror shot. I and the slow mo and just the extra shot of each of them seeing both their reflection and their adversary on the same shot. And the slow mo slows right down, almost grinds to a freeze frame. It's just beautiful. That's my number one. Awesome, Nick. Okay, so a special shout out to the somewhere over the rainbow scene. I knew someone else was gonna pick it. Probably all three of us. <laughs> but like, mm-hmm. you cannot, you cannot not talk about it. It's a great moment. And again, like John Woo's power in making each action scene distinct from the others. I think it's so easy to make a movie that feel very samey. Like I watched Need for Speed today um, for a project, and like all of the action scenes are cool, but they're all still just car chases and it gets boring after a while so the fact that he manages to have like four or five big shootouts but all of them feel different from one another because of the setting because of the weapons because of the way he shoots it and all of that just great number three it's the john allen discovery of you know nick cage's identity nick cage is sean archer i think that's a very strong dramatic scene or the quieter parts of the movie in terms of action but one of the most strongly emotionally resonant in my opinion because you can feel in her face like disbelief horror shame fear it's it just hits you like she doesn't she she alludes to it she's like you know the marital duties you know we've we've been husband and wife for a week now that means like we banged every night That's what's one way to put it, you know, very, very nicely. Um, and again, it's it's powerful. Like you, you, like it's. I like it. I think it's a great moment. You know, just uh, an underrated performance, I'd say, in the movie. Um, one of the lesser talked about actors in here, but one that deserves the recognition. Also, shout out to Gina Gershon. I think she's great, but not in the top three because number two we have Nicolas Cage shoot dodging diving out of the airplane dual wielding pistols what a moment what an image what a gif you could make out of it just beautiful just magical uh just great you know like shoot dodging uh, but lastly number one it's the entire scene that you only alluded to randy when they meet face to face for the first time with the body swapped that encounter between John Travolta and Nick Cage playing the other person, like, it's great. 
that's when it gets your heart boiling because you find out like there's no hope for Cage, there's no hope for Sean Archer. He is he's trapped in that body because everyone who can do the operation is dead. Everyone who knew about this mission is dead. So it's like, oh shit, this is this is serious now. And John Travolta is just hamming it up, just laughing in his face. It's like looking in a mirror, hornly not. <laughs> like all those so many cool moments. This is like Nicholas Cage just it's it's great. I lo- I love how Nicholas Cage is just so frustrated and so just scared of what's going to happen. He just wants to choke him to death in the moment, just screaming, Die! Die! It's Super Mario boots. It's Super Mario boots that they turn off, yeah. And there's police brutality, the Geneva Convention doesn't work there, you know. So you know it's a great this moment, is, but the prequel to Escape Plan, by the way. <laughs> Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. They they changed the measures afterwards. They were like, oh, we can we can make some improvements here. Too easy to escape. The double team secret. in a way. The double team. Yeah. yeah. This is my top three. Although that prison's a resort. <laughs> this is this is spa basically a vacation. Ah. Uh, yeah. Good. Oh wow. Okay. So I've got small things and big things. So small things. Shout out to Nicholas Cage headbanging. Just at the beginning. Did you notice? Yeah. <laughs> head just gets all down, just... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> right, okay. The crucifix just swirling in the air. Yeah. What There's a, a cut scene in there too where he kills a janitor, so he would be bopping along and headbanging right after he killed a janitor. So yeah, so I, I suppose like this is this is something I, I see this scene, I'm like, okay, I think I know where where this is going, right? But then again it's just like, oh, and then now we're in this domestic situation, just I don't know. This film, like, it feels like this, this. There was a studio note somewhere like this. We need, we need the rock and, and true lies capital in here. Anyway, but uh, it, I'm, I'm not gonna be talking about negatives. This is positive time. Another small thing, and this is a very small thing, is easy to miss, but I'm pretty sure you didn't miss it. There's many standoffs in this in this film, but the first one when they meet after the plane dr- drives into the hangar where um, they kind of I can't remember if they fall off something but they get up from the floor and they do the swish so they will have this sort of the, the the guns will be like this and they'll just do like just, just oh yeah yeah I'm just like this is cool 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 small moment like it love it now onto the big moments the uh, laundry list of names that f- the fallen heroes that the uh, Travolta delivers while receiving a bottle of wine. This is a this is a real this is one of the sort of dramatic moments that get me. So I'm I'm there for it. And then the following two moments will be a the whole plane crashing set piece with the hangar and the helicopter and everything else in between. The people shooting and all of a sudden groups of people jump in from three different places. The cameramen are like fuck. We need to kind of just cover all this while well, sparks are flying. And and John was there wearing his Michael Bay mask like Michael Myers. This <laughs> <laughs> is great. Um, but the absolute best sequence in the film is the boat chase for me. The boat chase oh. where you, Jesus Christ! I'm just thinking to myself, and it, and it goes from hyper real stunts where these boats are just passing each other and there's this guy on just hanging outside of this boat and these people are just on an actual speeding boat on water and there's and it goes to this hilarious sort of explosion and just it's just an exploding boat and they just go and like 
there's the, there's the scene where this boat explodes and you see the motorboat just goes in the air and all I want is the sort of someone to put in the meme music to to kind of just go into the space to the to the tune of me 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 you know it's great uh, that's my, that's my top moments now bottoms I'm sure you can master at least three. I can. So I have actually two categories. I'm not going to call them. <laughs> I'm not going to call it mini uglies, but I'm, I'm going to call it something that I do actually love, but it doesn't just it doesn't survive much scrutiny. So I have a couple of things in this category, and one it, it one is we talked. Why are you rubbing your hand down the front of my face? <laughs> Did you wash your hands? You know, what, would you do that to someone with glasses? <laughs> you know, so yes, so. I like it because it's that visual close quarters hand choreography that Wu seems to like to do. It's great. It works. It's a visual for the mini violins and earning them. It's great, but it's, it is weird at the same time. Uh, at the end, similarly, I like the emotional beat at the end, but at the same time, this is Adam. He needs a place to stay. And then he's got this look. Can we keep him? Like, like he's a puppy. Like... <laughs> Sorry, I'm sure there's a process, right? Like there's just there's social services involved in here. They I just would, grab the kid off the street. Eyes from the FBI, you know. and they just do the hand motion. It's like he's one of, he? one of us. Yeah, but one he's like us. a puppy, though. Really, show him where his kennel is. Yeah. Okay. Um, my other little little moment. I I do like the moment all in all, but it doesn't survive much scrutiny. Nick Nicholas Cage during the escape from the prison, he's just hitting a keyboard. I'm not really sure what he's typing or doing and it might be is or locks unlocking or something, but the big thing that seems to happen because because what happens with Nicholas Cage typing speed of 50 words a minute. He, the, the monitors start sparking and blowing up. So like there, there's these monitors that are strung together. So they catch on fire because of Nicolas Cage's typing speed, I guess. So at any rate, it's part of a greater set piece, which I, I like, but it's a little weird moment leading to it. So my for real bottoms, number three, Pollock's Troy's hair and appearance for seemingly <laughs> a competent enough guy, whether he's got social issues or not, can he not? do his hair and tie his shoes that's a little odd of a quirk to me uh number well, if two, he has autism that's do be like that well oh, this yeah. is 90s autism <laughs> just full on with like i'm not able to to tie my shoes type of autism right Pretty like this much. makes this makes rain Man look subtle right <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's anyway it's all needless stuff in my mind not the best so. choices in terms of yeah Harv Presnell's death, so he's Travolta's boss. Like he just conveniently seems to have angina or something, and then uh, Travolta does him in all the way. It's just sort of a weird moment. It's based on weird coincidence, and yeah, it, I don't know if it's in. I guess phone call. Maybe sort of need that some, to happen. Get the yeah. ambulance. He had a heart attack. It's just so, like oh, no one rushed in. What's happening? Yeah. So there's there's an insincerity and disingenuousness that I can uh, you know I can <laughs> agree with, uh, but number one uh, and actually, sorry Jacob, it was on your tops. The boat race for me, like the oh. boat race and boat chase, it's fine. And again, it's hard to find you know moments that I don't like here. But up to that point, I, I find that you know the the rising action was rising, 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 and then 
we got sort of the, the standoff on the shore and the stuff with Dominic Swain and the knife and the leg and all that stuff is really good. And then to me, the boat chase takes a little bit of a dip until they go one-on-one. So the boat race for me probably needed to be a bit shorter. Oh, that's fair, actually, I'd say, yeah. I'm there for the stunts. I'm there for this guy on the water just trying to kind of pretend he's jet skating. Yeah, fair enough. Who's clearly, you know, you can, you can see that they're clearly stuntmen the whole way through, which is also sort of great and charm in its own right. 90s. They Come don't on. try to hide yep. it. Yep. Uh, and it's not a coincidence that it's the only action scene without an emotional beat. It's all about mm-hmm. looking cool. Think about that. Think about that. That's why it's, it's the only action three. scene to be your top three, yes. That's why it's on my top list. It's not spoiled it any sort of schmaltzy drama in here. <laughs> all connected. There's, oh, there's no Travolta parenting in the middle of this action. I, want, <laughs> I, I don't want to sound like this is like I'm this autistic that I just like it has to be compartmentalized. Compartmentalized as in like I want my deep impact without any sort of spectacle. It's fine. Keep my drama in there. And then I want my Armageddon with just a spectacle. Like it's just, you know, but it, it just works for me. Anyway, Niccolo, bottoms. Number three. It's the sexual harassment that just runs rampant in this entire movie. <laughs> From beginning to end, you know, Travolta looking at the, his, well, not his daughter, but like, yeah. Acaster Troy as, ah, whatever, you know, you get it. Nichols, just, so Travolta is. is creepy, super gross. <laughs> uh, so many butts, women's butts are just touched and grabbed and slapped. And you just kind of laugh it off or shrug it off. It's like, that's non-consensual. You know, it's a bit problematic, I'd say. What does that's a 90s action wife? film to you. I don't want I don't want to see you go, but I like to see you leave. Yes. <laughs> Jesus Christ. And she's like, oh, man. But you know, if it's the wife, if it's kinky talk, you can and do she's like, It's fine. He's never behaved like this. Oh, I feel Have you seen. never heard that line before, Jakob? No, no, I haven't heard this line before, but I'm just thinking yeah. to myself, has she not figured out that this is not her husband? She's just like, she's just like I feel seen. <laughs> weird. Anyway. Army mode activated. Number two. Why, oh why, is the bomb set to blow up 11 days after it's been set up? Why, why so long? And also, just in general, the time in this movie works in a very weird way. The bomb is set to blow up in 10, 11 days, but then we'll be cut back to it after all of the interrogations that Sean Archer has done. It's been like two days, apparently, but then he goes to the prison and then like Sean Archer, John Travolta, evil Travolta comes back and blah, blah, blah. And then he goes and it's one minute left, but then he's been away for one week. It's like, how does, how does any of this work? doesn't matter let's not get lost in it but also it's hard to like if you keep showing me timers and saying timeline uh but lastly the worst moment of the scene which is the only scene in here where i'm not laughing where i'm just like get over it just go i'd like to take his face off (laughs) you mean his face off (laughs) yes his face 
Oh, like we get it, we get it. That of the we get it. Move on, move on. It's like it's like you know, it's so slow. Move up. It's excitement, yeah. action, something happening. Please yeah. stop the scene. It was in the title. We don't need it three times. <laughs> we get it. We get the joke. We get the reference. Like every time I watch this movie, it's like to me, it's literally the only part of the film where I'm kind of like wishing I could skip it. But like, it's just you know, forty seconds. I don't really need it. <laughs> just skip yeah. it. I never do, but it's like it's so tiring. Every Doesn't time work. someone tries to work the title of the film into the screenplay, an angel up in heaven gets gonorrhea. <laughs> this was like a massive like explosion for this scene. <laughs> Although it comes right after the scene that's kind of a meme, like the sort of gif of John Travolta just... <laughs> yes. <laughs> he does the drugs and he just starts laughing. Just... Love it. Not John Travolta, uh, also... sorry. Nicholas Cage. <laughs> Dishonorable mention to just him kind of, you know, jumping off of the prison and just, you know, strolling into town after a 20 miles swim. This is like the know. Blues Brothers, like when, you know, like the, the car jumps and it lands in a different city in front of a building. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. It's, it's a tad convenient, you know. Yeah. Just who cares? Movies more moving. Keep, keep slow, slow down. The action. It's the magic of cinema. It's Don't just like there's no contrivances, there's no hyperbole <laughs> in here. This is awesome. It all makes sense. Anyway, I've yeah. got a bunch. <clears throat> oh, no. Small, <laughs> small thing. Nicolas Cage singing Hallelujah out of tune. Just saying. You just have to say. Because he just goes like, everyone's Hallelujah. And he's just, just to, back, I don't know, two semitone, semitones higher than this is ridiculous. It's just now, I just it hurts me. That's when you know that he's evil, messing up with. So I've got another. intentional, you could say. (laughs) Another small thing I've got: the lick at the end when he licks the daughter, just uncalled for, just too nasty even for me. Nineties villain. (laughs) Nineties. A nineties villain in South Park. That's what I just put. But okay, I actually have four big things. So let's just say because this is something that I I didn't know whether I want to put it on any list, but we didn't touch on this. But I feel like I need an expert opinion on this. So if someone who has a degree in biology somewhere in there can actually explain this to me. So they say that John Travolta is zero negative. He's O negative, right? And then and then Nicolas Cage is AB. Right. The way I understand this, O negative means he's a universal donor. Everybody else can enjoy his blood. However, what the trade-off is, uh, if someone has an A, neg- a, a negative, well, o-, o negative blood, they can only receive O negative blood. That's it. Like they can't get anything else because they can't have any antigen either A or B because they will have a this, there, there will be the serological conflict or whatever. So it's not going to be a good day versus someone who has AB can take any blood, but they can only give it to someone who has AB. So how they can exchange faces without dying, without sort of the transplant going like, no, this is, it's not taking. Like one of these people should be like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm, I can take whatever. The AB guy will be like, yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, I can take a, a, an all negative face. It's great, you know? But the other way, like one of these people should be dead or at least in trouble. Someone needs to explain this to me. It's a sci-fi film. <laughs> I think 
I think that there was an allure to having um, the Castor Troy character. He is a uni- he's he's a taker, and the Sean Archer character is a, a giver. giver and can yep. give to everyone and help everyone. Is this, and is, I this think the, that- is this the queer reading that you wanted? <laughs> yes, I'll take it. I'll take it. Came late, but I'll take it. <laughs> oh my goodness. He likes also, to apparently, on IMDb, there is a note that apparently they, they look at the hemoglobin levels on, on the guy's face and they say, like, he's clearly diabetic. <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> anyway, so, okay, so that's, okay, I'm gonna, I'm, this is just an, a side note. I, I, it's just something that bothered me a little bit, just as a scientist. Anyway, I mentioned the lick. The Super Mario boots bother me like this whole conceit of the prison the space prison with every, like, let's, like i want to i want to meet the architect of this prison it's just like I, I know what we're gonna do we're gonna give these people super mario boots and when they misbehave we're gonna glue the fuckers to the floor i mean and the whole prison is just so stupidly designed they, they have they see they have pollux um like the whole prison just can go for me like it's just ridiculous they have pollux just like oh i'm being out i Sean Archer is just uh, pulled in for my... Just, they're walking across a bridge and he's just in a cell underneath. Why? And then he's trying to get out and they just... I'm Sean Archer. It's just like, what is, what is this? Is this Planet of the Apes? What's what's happening? <laughs> <laughs> it's just so bad. This is this is where I'm just thinking, this is a Michael Bay film in disguise. This is, this is, these are the type of, types of elements that kind of make me feel like this is not, this is not a John Woo film. This is a, this is a Michael Bay film. Christ. Anyway, number two. Let's just okay. I'm, uh, the daughter, just in general, she the way she acts, the, her makeup with the like she, the panda makeup, the uh, the the Don't whole she, like, how she runs. I mean, the girl in True Lies runs way better than she does. <laughs> it's just, and I haven't seen True Lies in twenty years. There's there's a heavy nostalgia vibe in there. So I'm waiting for the Blu-ray that's never going to come out. Um, and the worst is, my my, my note says, the, ha- the man knows hands of fate sort of foreshadowing with just a... Oh, come here, honey. You mean the love touch? The love touch. Just fucking go. Like, just, did you wash your hands? No. It's just like straight out of uh, out of the street. Like I was on the subway. I, I, I wiped my ass. And it's just like... It's just... I, I, if you I, love someone, blind? they'll take your bacteria. It's an expression of love. I had the same concerns, but it's an expression of love and care. <laughs> I mean, what happened to hugging? Is hugging overrated? A kiss yes. on the cheek, not just the... Like, my glasses are fucked now. Like, just I'm trying to do this on myself. <laughs> it's more cinematic this way, you know? No, it's not. Hugging, it's... A hugging lacks, you know, it's not visual enough. But no. this... It's the same in as the end, he shows up at the door. Air. He hugs her. And the, 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 the violin swells and they hug. And I'm just thinking to myself, this is a good moment. No, but then he just pulls back and he does. And, just, <laughs> and the kid shows up. Oh, can we keep him? Give him the touch. <laughs> <laughs> One of us. One of us. He's been merged now. He, she, I think he does it to his daughter and she does, he just catches her lip and she does this. Like one of those. <laughs> you can even hear it. It's just, 
This is so bad. Anyway. Face Off is available, I think, on Disney Plus. Possibly Paramount Plus? No, it's not Paramount. It is Paramount. It is Paramount. It's on Paramount Plus. It's not Disney, I think, despite the touchstone connection. Uh, okay, because in, 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 in my neck of the woods, it's on Disney Plus and on Prime as well. So, so there's that. It's also on, available on physical media. I'm not sure if there's an alternative ending and everything in there on, on Blu-ray, but I hope there is. So you can go and watch the uh, the Dale Cooper ending. Anyway, I think we've done it. Where can we find everyone on social media? Randy, where can we find your stuff? You can find me on Twitter at Randy Burrows. You can find my reviews on Letterboxd at Brad7. And you can find some of my writing on clapperltd.co.uk. Awesome. Nick? You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at NickyGran97. And there you can find my link tree with links to everything that I do, including my videos and, and you know, all the good stuff, articles for Clapper. And also the Death Adaptation podcast, which you should check out if you like books and film adaptations. Awesome. You can find me, talk about film on Twitter, Jakob Flash Letterboxd, flashonfilm.com, clapperltd.co.uk. Um, and also just stay tuned for flashonfilm.com. There's gonna be a there's gonna be a shitty essay dropping about John Travolta, John Woo, and then ter- thermo thermonuclear dicks and and Michael Bay masks. This is gonna be amazing. Um, this is not gonna make absolutely zero sense. But in the meantime, I think I'll I'll have something else in there in there as well. Uh, I have a piece that I've been carrying in my heart for a while, and I, and this is finally coming to fruition. Like I'm ready to kind of just shit this out. <laughs> so... <laughs> Um, anyway, also follow the show at Uncut Gems Pod everywhere, which is Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, Instagram, and TikTok. And uh, also UncutGemsPodcast.com is the HQ where you can browse where you can browse everything that we've done so far, which includes n- main episodes of the main show, and then also everything that we've done on the Patreon, which is bonus shows, mini retrospectives, and our David Lynch marathon, which are all available on our Patreon, patreon.com slash uncutgemspot, three bucks a month, opens access to everything we've done um, with your kind support. And if you don't want to uh, subscribe and commit to any sort of long-term relationship with us, that's totally fine. You can also support us by buying us a coffee, so a one-off donation, also I think three bucks or something like this. Uh, will help us out a lot and if you don't feel like spending money at all i totally get it so you can always leave us a review leave us a rating wherever you listen to your podcast or on podchaser or wherever where you feel like you fancy leaving us a review and also you can get us get in touch so uncutgemspod at gmail.com or uncutgemspodcast.com slash contact is where you can send your angry mails about why I don't like face of the way I possibly should <laughs> and, and then where you can high five these two bozos about about how right they are in their assessment of this film being the pinnacle of 90s action filmmaking oh yeah so, so go on and do that and then in, and then this concludes this episode of Uncut Gems podcast and then we shall meet next week where our woo guest will continue and we'll not be talking about Mission Impossible 2 because we've done this last year. So you can just scroll all the way down in your feed and find this episode from um, what was it, August last year. And then instead we'll be talking about Wind Talkers, which was next film in line after Mission Impossible 2 that John Woo directed in Hollywood. So 
stay tuned until next week and in the meantime what have you i hope you have a fabulous day we'll see you next week bye bye